Episode three, son. Welcome, welcome, Ship Brothers. Say thanks for tuning in again. We got a uh, we got a killer episode. This was this was a really fun one for us. It's an interesting one because it is basically with our oldest friend that we still are friends with in the world. Oldest friend in the world. It's my oldest friend in the world. Love's oldest friend. I mean, we've we've literally been friends with this guy longer than anyone that I can think of. Absolutely. And it was great. It was a great conversation. We dig into the past. We dig into the record. We dig into social issues. It was like literally, it was just all over the place. It was, it made it, that's part of what made it so awesome. It, 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 we jump all over the place. And it's a long episode, but we could have kept talking for hours. For sure. We could have run all the batteries out. We could have run these mics dead. <laughs> but this is with our good friend, Michael Schellenberger, who is an artist. And he is basically in the beginning stages of what he's about to accomplish, but I can already see so much, so much promise in what he's doing. I, I can't wait to see what he's doing in the next five years. Absolutely. He's a ridiculously talented human being, a great person, a lover of music, and one of our oldest friends. So with that being said, uh, this is our conversation with Michael Schellenberger. What's up, guys? What's up, brother? Hey, Michael. Hey, can you hear me all right? Yeah, we got you. All right, cool. How you doing? Hey, I'm doing good, man. Everything's uh, everything's great. How about you guys? Good, man. This is a big podcast. We're excited to have you on. This is like an episode we've been waiting for. Yeah, I've been um, I've been really excited about this. Oh um, yeah, dude. I have probably listened to the record we're gonna discuss. 30 plus times in the last couple weeks. So. <laughs> Fuck yeah. I've listened yeah, to this record more couldn't... times in the last two weeks than I have in my entire life. <laughs> that is for sure. Uh, yeah. And I'm glad I did. Right. I'm pumped. But we're, yeah, not, we're not yeah. jumping into the record that quick. We've got, we're going to bullshit oh, no. for a while. That's what we like to do All here right. on this podcast. All right. I'm about it. I'm about it. So first, let's go ahead. Bullshit. Yeah, me too, man. So first, let's go ahead <laughs> and just uh, go through that. The whole how do we meet story. Give some people some perspective. And... Uh, I think I've probably sent you some other episodes, so you kind of know how this goes, but I let you go first, and I just want you to give uh, a brief summary on how you met either me or Rev or both or whatever. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, so I, I remember very clearly how I met Rev. Oh, um, spill those beans, because I know that I, uh, you guys are children. No, I'm going to get to you, brother. We're going um, back in time. For anyone yeah, who's listening to this, Michael is, I, I, I'm sure we we told you a little bit about this but he's one of the oldest friends one of the best friends we have and that's why this is such a cool episode so we're yeah, we um we're diving we back way here. back right, go for it go way for back it. i mean we're going to like um shit damn near preteen years um so i um i switched schools actually from elementary to to middle school so i ended up going to hendersonville middle and I really didn't know anybody, so I was hanging with these kids, and uh, 
sixth grade listening to corn and Limp Biscuit, as we all were just kind of like trying to fit in you know at this point in the new school kind of just not really yeah, I didn't know anybody at this point so um you know I was hanging um hanging with these kids and uh honestly my first year at that school was just a nightmare um but then uh good old seventh grade ran uh, you know came around and uh so, ah, God, I don't remember when, um, but it was pretty early on in that year. Um, you and I had a class together. I think it was homeroom, possibly. Homeroom, I um, love it. Yeah, yeah, good old homeroom. Yo, I haven't guys, thought about you guys know how You guys know how lucky you were to actually have friends in homeroom? Because like, when I was growing up, <laughs> homeroom was basically, it's like almost like they evil like planned it. It was like, we're going to put everybody who hates each other in homeroom, so they have to see each other first thing every day. <laughs> Pretty God much. damn, man. Yeah. God damn. Yeah. Um, but I think we got stuck in homeroom, and then I think we had a class right after together. And, yeah, that sounds um, about right. Yeah, and I had, uh, you know, been getting into Blink-182 around that time, and, um, you know, we got to talking about music a little bit, and you're like, yeah, I love Blink. Um, I'm like, well, awesome, so do I. Um, and I think it kind of just took off at that point, man. We had a lot in common. Um, man, could you, know, you imagine? I really wanted to learn how to play guitar. You played guitar. Could you guys imagine too. how many friends were made because of Blink-182? Where it's like, you like Blink-2? <laughs> I like Blink-2. Oh, instant besties. That shit <laughs> so happened to me too. <laughs> you are not my only friend that you know I met that way. So I can definitely vouch for Music that is, true. Music's a th- funny <laughs> thing, especially when you're younger. And I feel like, like you don't really, you're just developing who you are and all that. Like when you meet some, that's all it takes to become a friend with somebody when you're like a kid. Is like, oh, you like this, I like this, cool, we're friends. Mm-hmm. Like when exactly. you're an adult, there's so much shit that like, oh, cool, you've got these political views, I've got these political views, I do this for work, you do this. When you're a kid, it's just like, oh, cool, we like, we kind of like the same. You like skateboarding, cool. Let's yeah, be friends, cool. You know? Like, let's be best friends. Yeah, come sleep it. over at my house. Yeah, for sure. We'll spin music. Um, it was great. So, um, yeah, you and I, I mean, pretty much started kicking it right away. Um, Going you know, way Kind of instantly became my best friend. Um, we, uh, I think before, right when I learned, um, first learned how to play guitar, you and I, that very same year, I love this memory. It just cracks me up every time because I remember a lot of the names on this list. But you and I would pass notes. Oh yeah, like a couple, forth. like a couple little girls. Like, we were. This is pre cell phones. Now dude. people probably just text but they were and shit. Band names. <laughs> oh yeah, I remember that. They the were worst band names. The worst band names ever is what oh, most yeah, of them were. Oh yeah, this was the time where you could stick any word with a number and it was like a punk rock band name. Exactly. So, it didn't need to have any sort of like reason behind it. If it sounded kind of cool to an adolescent ear, we were into it. That was a big thing. And there was a long time where it was a big like it's a big I think we've talked about this in another podcast mm-hmm. where it's like you throw a number with like a one syllable word. Yeah, like, for sure. Well, there you go. Exactly. Yeah. It's we came up with Taco 88. Um, Just Taco like, Explorer. The, well, that's at least got some humor to it. Yeah, I mean, Taco It's like yeah. vagina reference. We, we like get tacos. it. Yep. And, but yes. actually, didn't we have this conversation on maybe Justin's? I think, I, I think was, we brought up band names our, on Justin's podcast. No, I think it was our intro episode that we recorded um, back in summer where we talk about this whole concept of. 
yeah, band maybe names that was and, it. Because yeah, because we talk about you guys having a band. Yeah, uh, it was uh, th- fifteen bliss. No, I third base is what third we were talking base. About. Yeah, third yeah. base was Briefly, the first one. We were third base, <laughs> and and the, we were next to nothing. Yeah. Oh, yep. Next to it. Jesus, dude. Man. Next to nothing sounds like a fucking emo rap band now. Like if That's you started true. an emo rap band and uh, called it Next to Nothing, you'd probably you'd probably make it, man. Yeah, you'd probably have a platinum record in no time. <laughs> yeah, or at least platinum <laughs> SoundCloud. Account. Yeah, as, you say, as long as it's on SoundCloud, get that SoundCloud <laughs> shit going. Yeah, yeah, dude. That's funny. I remember I remember meeting you in seventh grade and, and giving uh, we were talking about Blink, and I remember giving you the self-titled Newfound Glory CD. Yes, it was like was a burned copy that, that I got from that, from Low. That record changed my life, as it actually. did a lot of people. Yeah, I mean that introduced me to pop punk in its entirety. Yeah, I was listening to Blink One Eighty Two because I thought it was, you know, cool. I I thought the the videos they were making running through the streets naked were hilarious. You know, I, I enjoyed them for a lot of reasons, but oh, yeah. I did not really know about pop punk i was a green day fan at the time um that was probably my only other punk band it i was, was just listening like to but the mainstream stuff which yeah, it's most the, it's, exactly. it's the accessible that's mostly what i was into as well it's like it's all the stuff exactly. that everybody could it's like you didn't have to search for it because then no. even then it wasn't that long ago but like that it a lot of that stuff it wasn't accessible like it is today where you can find any type type of music you can just hit spotify playlist and find exactly like bands, you know? napster was just becoming a thing in those days you yeah. know like it was uh yeah it was strange um but i remember you giving me that self-titled record and then i think the first time i came to uh to your house your parents house and spent the night with you um i met i met low and that's when i met you um and i think at that time i think this was the legacy days Gross. the legacy skate park show days you know it's funny that has been yeah that phase i you know it's funny it as i've like played music throughout my entire life now for some reason that phase of music for me was the best man because i didn't know any of the evil like the only thing that i knew i mean ignorance is bliss man like i literally just wanted to play fucking songs and I never thought about record sales. I never thought about, you know, who's my target audience? How should I get, should I be getting paid for this show? Like I never even thought about that shit. I just we didn't care about that back then. No, it was not just at all. The love of the music. I mean, it was very, um, you know, at the, at that point, yeah, it was very untainted. Yeah, and it's funny because we um, were we were all so fucking bad, you know, and um, <laughs> but we were happy, and and that's funny because so happy. I mean, I've had really cool experiences later in life that, you know, as a kid at that age, I would have, like, if I could talk to myself now, I'd be like, are you, are you fucking kidding me? You got to do what? But, like, back then, I was way happier than I am now musically. I just, the ignorance is bliss, man. That was just a, oh, yeah. that was a beautiful time. I didn't even know how to, you know, fucking set an amp up or anything. I just, just bullshitted our way through everything. Exactly. Uh, no, that was a, that was a really good time. I I specifically remember um, Rev you teaching me my very first guitar line. Oh God! And what it was it? Was, <laughs> it was the intro to "What's My Age Again" by Blink One Eighty Two on a classical nylon string acoustic yeah, guitar. That's actually wait, one of the hardest. My guitar or your? No, guitar? that was 
that was the one I actually, this is how I, funny how I learned uh, or decided to want to play guitar. Um, my neighbor was going through, or my mom's neighbor, my parents' neighbor, you yeah. know, was going through a divorce and they uh, brought some of their belongings over to hide them from the arbitration, I guess. Uh, and one of those belongings was a uh, classical acoustic guitar. Um, so they had to know, pay I found interest it in the basement and just fell in love, you know, the second I picked it up. So, and that was that. That's awesome. Yeah, that's great. Well, my memory of meeting you is I don't remember. I don't remember when I met you. I feel like you've just been in my life since I was born. Um, but I think Feels that way. Yeah. yeah, but I think one of my favorite things about you is that you are the dude who, like, you saying you met me when I was, you know, playing skate parks and shit. And but then as like bands kept moving on, like you were still there, and I, I be all oh i'm in a new band now check out this shit ass demo I, we just made and you you heard them all and then as we got a little older we definitely just did tons of drugs together and drank but they were always centered around music like we would just music. sit there and listen and I, to music every time we wouldn't do we would anything sit but for hours six seven eight hours just running car I mean, batteries sometimes dead. at nine or ten p.m <laughs> just listening to records for hours Bowl yeah. after bowl, beer after beer. I mean, exactly. And many times, the funniest yeah. thing is it would just be sitting, yeah, sitting in a car. There were so in many times car. where you would just sit it in a car, a car in the woods, whether it was by the barn. And yep. it, we all grew up in North Carolina. We're a bunch of hicks. So, yeah, we would just sit in cars and listen to music well, when you're and that smoke age, weed and drink beer. It's hilarious. Well, when you're that age, you can't. That's exactly what we did. You're <laughs> hiding all this shit from your parents. You know, it's like you can't just go do it in the living room or the kitchen of your house. If you want to get fucked up, you got to like, what did we have? We all had mobile homes, which were our cars. Like we would just live in our cars. I bet every one of us had four outfits and three pairs of shoes and goddamn backpacks and food and yoo-hoo. I mean, we were like living out of our cars as teenagers. Pretty you know? much. Pretty much. And funny enough, you and I both had the low Actually, you and I had the same first car. Yeah, man, I still got that piece the of shit. Mi- the Nissan Xterra. The mighty yeah. Xterra. The it's a mighty good car. Xterra. Oh man, it was a beauty. We had a lot of fun times in those. Yeah, but yeah, I remember. And then as you know, things kept going on and on. Um, I started becoming like more of a songwriter, and then I started just pitching you all of my demos to kind of just get an idea, of being like, "Yo, uh, does this suck? Yes or no." You know, and I, I, that happened at a pretty young age, like when I started writing for Rem 112 and shit like that. And then as things just kept going, like I never stopped. You pretty much have gotten every demo I've ever made in my life, even all the way up I, till now. Like you have yeah, every I New Brothers have demo. You have everything. everything you have ever written. Yeah. You're like the only person in my life that's done that, maybe except Reb, but he probably skips new demos because he's like, yeah, man, I remember those days, the barn days, um, you know, just sitting and listening to those demos. And then I think that's um, around the time Trees, Trees was born. Yes, we were in a band um, together. Those demos. I forgot about that. We made we made some music together at one point. That's That we did. Yeah. That we did. I learned how to play piano, um, self-taught myself out of love for something corporate. There you go. Such a good throwback. Love those guys. Um, Andrew McMahon's a genius. Um, but yeah, so I, um, bought a piano, decided to teach myself, uh, 
I was never very good at it, but yeah, I played piano in um, Trees, I believe, and I played lead guitar for, I think, an EP. Yeah, it was the trees. trees just later down the road. Trees of Green was yeah. like my formative band where I had always been a player in bands, I guess besides the has-beens, but that doesn't really count. But Trees of Green was my moment where I led a band. So every song we played, I wrote. You know, I was the singer, I was the guitar player. It was the first time I ever took that role on. And so that band took so many shapes. Like every record I made, it sounded a little different and it was like, you know, sonically framed a little different because I was changing and I, I didn't want to do the same shit over again. And I didn't Absolutely. know what the hell was going on, honestly. Like I, I still was very ignorant about the music industry and we were just playing bars and we were just... You know, fucking getting high yeah. as hell, like just playing songs. And the funny thing is, I just realized that there was some recordings. There's a couple songs that all three of us were on. Yeah, of that, of is that true. band. And on the top of my head, I am starting a new segment right now. Love it. Where, yeah, I don't know if it's gonna <laughs> stick, but I'm starting it because you're the first uh, first guest that we've had that has played music with us in the past. There's gonna be yes. more. So I'm gonna start the wall of shame. Ooh. Which is I'm gonna play I'm gonna play a shitty demo yeah, or a shitty baby. recording um, that we were all on, and I think what do you think? Hope isn't that that because I play what I play viola in that right? Yeah, and then Michael plays yeah keyboard. piano I and believe then, yeah, yeah keyboard now. As a matter of fact, and then Dylan Low wrote everything else. So it, I'm gonna take a second and I'm gonna play that song. This is going to be great. I'm very excited about All this. All right, so this is Hope by Trees Are Green. That was wild. That song is not great. <laughs> wow, amazing. <laughs> so good. All right, the first segment of Wall of Shame. She gives me hope by Trees of Green. Part of that. Yeah, you know, we dig we dig back deep into our adolescence and but you know what it shows progression because now we are all very different people. It's true. And we're much better yes. at what we do, I think. Yes, we are. <laughs> and I believe you and I uh co-fronted a band at one time with our good friend Jaron. And that um, was the worst music. <laughs> that was the worst. We had two demos and they were Oh no, we God have awfully great. I think we have more than two, and I think I still have them somewhere. I would have to dig really hard to find them. Oh my God, please do that digging for me. I, at I some need point. to. I would love to hear them. Yeah, I'll send <laughs> I think them. I to have you. more. Yeah, I definitely have. A I've I've got them. Ones. They're backed up on hard drives. I've got some with just you and me and Jaren, and then and Jaren's going to be a guest on this really soon. So we'll maybe we'll dig some of those out for the Wall of Shame. Uh, I can't wait. Can't wait to hear that episode. <laughs> That's going to be great. But yeah, and then we did some with Lyle. I remember I've got a couple of demos that were like emo, like angsty, like almost like a hidden in plain view type thing. I remember that. Phase. Yes. You remember that? Yes. <laughs> yeah. We were very into that band there for a little while. Oh, yeah. As, um, as everyone was. It was the, yes. the times. It was the movement, man. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Those guys are still great. I really do. When I dig them out, I still enjoy their music. Didn't somebody, much. I think somebody just picked one of their records for, did. for the yep. podcast. We got one of those, one of those hidden in plain view records coming up. So we'll be doing awesome, that, that soon. Yeah. I can't wait to hear that. That's going to be fantastic. Yeah. It's a, yeah. it's been a wild ride, man. We've got a bunch of, bunch of crazy adventures and then, I mean, shit, we've done all sorts of things from playing music back in the day. You've been 
you've like like Lo was saying, you've been kind of part of the journey for us musically the whole time, even when you started stepping into different mediums of art. Like you yeah. still were Yeah. Like I mean you you've helped us do all sorts of things, even like in the later years with like merch and you would come to shows and help us do like I mean you hit the road with us a couple times and done things on tours and stuff like that. It's it's pretty crazy. Absolutely, a yeah. Lot of work Back in, in Colorado, Colorado days, yeah. that was crazy. I lived with you guys for um, it's almost almost a year i think out in durango yeah. Yeah. talk about some weed smoking you know That's for that, that time back in the the i think it was all good in in old north state days yeah that was probably um, right at the beginning of old north state would be my guess around yeah this. And my memory's not it all kind of turns into a blur after a while but like that sounds about right well i can imagine i mean you guys have been at this non-stop for way too long i mean as long <laughs> as i can remember yeah exactly um, way too long I recently counted. I recently counted. Uh, I'm at a depressing 18 years now. Yeah, in baby. music. <laughs> 18, bitch. 18 years in music. It's rough. Yeah, that's that's about as long as I've known you guys, which is crazy. Yeah. I mean, that's that's over half my life. That's crazy. You know, I just turned 30. So, big 30. I'm not the looking forward to that. Coming soon. It doesn't hurt as bad as you think. That's what they say. I'm still, yeah, I've got that, like, I I'm, promise. I'm closing in quick, so I get to have that, lo- those, like, months of just, like, shit anxiety, like, like, I'm getting old, yeah. and, like, I haven't right? accomplished enough, yep, yep, May 4th. Yep, 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 I, 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 uh, got that I do remember Wars your birthdays birthday. after 18 years, yep. took that long to remember it, though, I'm so, so bad that. with that shit, so I <laughs> bad. I don't know anybody's birthday, I, I barely remember my own. <laughs> so... You know, it's um, it's very interesting because the record we're going to talk about has influenced me in so many ways um, throughout our time together, and that includes playing music with you guys. Um, that also includes when I was out in Colorado. What I was trying to do um, was a solo music venture at that point. Yep. Uh, what you guys were doing, the Old North State thing, and that is when I found out that I was too stage shy to ever be a musician (laughs) (laughs) yeah i i I believe that That makes sense yeah yeah i remember playing um it was a distillery i don't remember the town maybe an hour and a half from maybe you guys remember where that was mancus mancus colorado oh mancus man oh my goodness mancos mancus i don't know know mancus mancus is how i say it the smallest town in the fucking world, there's Yo, nothing there. But the thing about there the, is nothing. <laughs> no, nah, the thing about Mayvals though, and that's what me and Rev started to affectionately call it over the years because we played it all the time, and yeah. it was, it was the first show that me and Rev had ever played that sold out. It was our first. We played that one big show. That's where we met Diaper. But yep. that yep. motherfucker was oh, straight right. sold out. Who needs to be on this podcast? Dear God, how did I just realize? Yeah, we that? should definitely get dipes on. Yeah, all right. So, sorry. So, so yeah, like sidebar. so, Mayvals was kind of that place where it was a yeah a rum distillery. So people got fucked up. It, oh, they yeah. didn't even serve. Oh beer. yeah, they did. So it's like within fucking one hour of the show, people are fucked up. I start every time we started playing there after we were doing well in Old North State. I kind of made them get me the rider of like an 18 of Coors Light every night because I couldn't hang with the rum and I didn't want to drink it on stage, but I definitely wanted to get fucked up. 
But there were so many times, because you got to remember, we were smoking so, 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 so much weed back then. And that, that is very true. I, I threw up in the streets of Mayvale so many times, smoking weed and drinking rum. That I was, I was just like, I'm over this, man. I need Coors Light. I'm tired of drinking rum. And honestly, I don't even fucking drink rum anymore, probably because of Mayvals. I just got too fucked up on that shit. It was dangerous, man. Yes, it was. I remember that. I, um, I remember that show so vividly because I think it was probably the only time that I had blacked out without <laughs> being drunk or fucked up on some kind of substance. So I blacked out from nervousness. Oh, shit. Yeah, and then I came to, and I was not singing my part. And I forgot where I was in the song. <laughs> and there is a recording of this somewhere. Oh, and I shit. stop and I start the song over again. And I never got more comfortable than I did in that fucking moment. That was a nightmare for me. <laughs> and I'm so glad that the people did get as fucked up as they did at that place because they were still like, oh, fuck yeah. Lost all five people that were there for that one. Um, yeah, it was great. It was great. The Colorado, that's when I realized um, I was not cut out for that. <laughs> the Colorado people are so into live music. I mean, they're into bigger shows too and shit like that, but... Um, uh, they support local. Yeah, I mean, the only... Th I mean, I can attribute all of the success that we ever had, what little it was, in Old North State, to the fact that people were hungry out there, man. So to start from nothing and build something was kind of fucking easy out there, as opposed to on the East Coast, where you really have to, you really have to grind and like make people care. Back then, they were tipping you before you even sound checked, and you're like, oh damn, this is gonna be a pretty good night. It's a weird, it's a weird uh, scene out there. I think, I think if I ever. Um, well, I mean, Rev knows this, but my backup plan for life, and it's been this way for a long time, um, like if I just get too tired of music and I just get too jaded and feel too let down, then I'm just going to go back to Colorado. I'm just going to get so fucking high. I'm going to work at like Walmart or Subway or some shit. I'm just going to go play stupid little solo shows at places like Mave House. And honestly... I'll probably live a pretty happy life, you know? But that's my backup plan. We're not there quite yet. We're close, but we're not there yet. <laughs> yeah. There yeah. you go, folks. You heard it. I, you I heard might end first. up with you on that journey if everything fails on this end as well. So. Pilgrimage to Colorado where you just get stoned <laughs> and just forget everything. Just sign, so high just and hang out in the mountains. Sign me up. Forget it all. <laughs> yeah, I think a bear broke into my car. Oh, oh my shit. God. How have we... I house. Good Lord, how a bear absolutely broke into your car. That's that, a worthy story. That is a honey bun, yeah? One of the best stories. Yo, let me, tarts. Yo, dude, let, me, tarts. let me tell this real quick because <laughs> I remember it was mad snowy and you came in the house and we were hanging out, probably drinking some no, beers or whatever. It wasn't snowing? It wasn't snowing. It was no, like summertime. No. Oh, it was okay, summertime. That I had yeah. just moved there. Yeah. Okay. So I remember I looked out the window. That just shows how much weed he was smoking, everybody. I was smoking tons <laughs> of weed. Yeah. He doesn't even remember what season this <laughs> shit was. <laughs> <laughs> so I look out the window and I'm 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 like, hey Michael, why did you leave your back door open? And Michael's like, I didn't. And this and I was is like, like well, your back door is fucking open, son. Like and, but this is like literally like you showed we were up watching arrested development. Yeah, you showed up in Colorado and like parked came in the house, and we got stoned. And this is how quickly yeah. this happened. I remember you still had a lot yes. of your belongings in your car. 
So I hadn't gotten anything out. I mean, <laughs> yeah, I, I wasn't even used to the elevation yet. I had one beer and I was on my ass. Oh yeah. So I, we, you know, we I was walked, like, what is this? We walked outside and you went to go close the door and then you just turned around and ran back. You're like, there's a fucking bear in my car. Oh no, you slam you shut the door <laughs> you on it. Slammed the door. <laughs> I didn't know what to do, so I yeah. shut the, I shut the door. Which is I wish that I could have just been one of the neighbors to watch these three stone <laughs> idiots <laughs> trying to deal with a bear that broke into a car. Because once In you closed the door they should not have shut the door. No, no, no. Once you shut Absolutely the door, not. shit went crazy and it started freaking yes. right out. And we're ta- we're yes, like yelling, and it's like, what do we do? It's like, well, we're gonna have to open the door again, man. Like, <laughs> now you have the the predicament of going extremely close to an angry bear yeah. to open the door. Yes, man, that was insane. Yes. I think you just ran up, opened the door, ran inside. The bear hightailed it out of there. Yep. Uh, he yes. got his pop or whatever. We found out it was a baby bear. Mama was around the corner, yeah. so that could have been much worse. Absolutely. Man, yeah, it did tear off the center console. And yep. destroy a pillow I had in the car for my dog. <laughs> yeah, a lot of clothes. Too. You oh, have like just, some clothes on was, hangers, and they destroyed everything all yeah, over crazy. a pop tart. Bears are crazy creatures, man. They yeah. are. Just, like, the, and what it was, uh, it was an ex-terror. They're you don't. I, it's just weird to think about how smart some of these animals are. And this because the ex-terrors they have those sideways doors on the back, and you can yes. just see the palm marks where this bear had. Obviously, figured out the handle. Yeah, it had. So it was. It wasn't just pure luck. Like it smelled this pop tart. It wanted the pop tart, and it some. It, it was smart enough to figure out that it could sit here and it swiped at the handle until it was able to get that door open. It's, it's crazy how smart bears are. That is insane. Yes, yes, it is. I haven't thought about that in a minute. I totally forgot about that until that just got brought up, and I'm so glad that it just got brought up. Damn. All right, well, obviously, yeah. guys, we could just talk about nothing forever because we all go really far back. And honestly, Michael, I don't think I've talked to you in a minute, right? I mean, we've texted like, most of the time, but I, don't, I haven't really actually caught up with you in a long time. No, it's been a while. I was in North Carolina, I think, oh, yeah. about six, seven months ago, but yeah, I only spent was a, out of two nights with you guys, you know, and that was definitely not enough to catch up. So No, and honestly, I don't remember yeah, it's that. It's been a minute. I don't remember that time of my life very well. I was pretty fucked up. <laughs> I, I, I do remember that. Yeah. That was the last Basto show. That. You know, that's cool, actually. Oh, yeah, you, got you to were. see that. Yep. Um, yeah, because we kept talking after that show, and we're me and Rev are basically like we should do one last Batstow show, and then time went on, and we we're like, well, I'm fucking over it now. We're not doing another. So that was the last one, and we'll probably never do it yeah. again. I was so pumped to be there for that. That was one a, of my favorite records. It was a funny show. I remember that was a good show. It was at the Gray Eagle, and it was just it wasn't a huge crowd or anything, but the vibes from the people that were there was just fun, man. It was like a Wednesday or something, but it was just a good. Good show, yeah. cool venue. Yeah, it was a, a really cool venue, great show, and uh, yeah, great performance, man. I, I was, mean, it I, was really cool to hear those songs live. I destroyed gear on stage that night, destroyed my yes, 18-inch you did. crash. What a <laughs> yes, you did. You cracked that thing. Yeah. All right. Before, well, we, well, before we jump into this record, I just have to say, I it sounds amazing where you are. I hear all the bugs and all that. It just, I'm super jealous that you're hanging out in Florida, because... <laughs> like just what I'm picturing in my head from what I'm hearing over your phone, um, it, it sounds awesome, and I'm sick of it being wintertime here in North Carolina. I'm sick I was of North Carolina. Ask you guys about the weather, but I thought it might be uh, today was actually a dick move. It was like um, considering. Yeah, it was the best day we've had all year. It was like 70 today. 
Not like, bad. Okay. It's going to be like 40 again and raining in like two days. So, Yeah, I'm enjoying that nice, that very brief, very, very brief period of uh, the time of year that Florida actually gets some fall-like weather. Where it's not too hot um, yet. Where it's only 75 during the day and it goes down to 40 at night. Yeah, yeah and we that, get that for a few weeks and that's about Yeah, I remember so. actually a couple years ago, me and Rev, um, we had some shows. Was this Old North State, Rev? What mm-hmm. band were we in? Mm-hmm. I guess Old North State, but we went down to Florida, played some shows, and then we hung out with you for a couple days. And it was it was in February, so it was kind of during that That's phase. Right. Oh yeah. And in North Carolina, it was That's a fucking right. snowstorm and ice storms. It was, shit a was breaking really loose, bad snowstorm here. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I remember just being so pumped that I could wear shorts and a hoodie at night, and that was all I needed. Oh, that was amazing. Man, I have a lot of love for yeah, Florida. Yeah. And I was freezing. Maybe yeah. We, I've gotten used to this weather. <laughs> maybe we just need to move to Florida. I think we literally <laughs> talked about that recently, do? Rev. Maybe we'll move to Florida. Who knows? We surely got to get the fuck out of North Carolina. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I'm going to stop right. sidetracking us. All right. So we Let's like to give a quick introduction to the album. This is Lowe's task. He's going to he kind of just spit some basic facts about it and give us an no, intro, no, no, and then we can jump off from up. there. Let's back up a bit. Oh, okay. Never mind. Michael, I don't know what the fuck we're doing. Why don't you introduce the record? <laughs> Tell us All what right, you chose, yeah, and tell I, um, us, give us, give us a brief idea of why you chose it. I know a good bit about it. this record, so I'd be happy to introduce it. Um, Sounds good. But leave the, the facts to me, I son. The record I chose... Just kidding. <laughs> um, <laughs> the record I chose for this podcast, um, you know, I, I decided to go with, with my very favorite band, Circus Survive, um, and I chose On Letting Go, uh, because that is the very first record I heard by... Um, by Circa and that record and my introduction to this band has changed my life in so many ways. We'll get into that, but wait, so Michael All letting go was released May 29th, uh, 2007 on equal vision records. VR baby. Um, yeah. And recorded by the infamous Brian McTurnan at salad day studios in Baltimore, Maryland, which we spoke about now, in our last podcast. You did. And man, his track record is unlike anything I've ever seen. That's stupid. I, mean, I can't even plug it. Just life, go look it up. You know, Harvard hidden in plain view, balance and composure, rest in peace. I mean, it goes on and on and on, man. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I could name bands for days. But, um, you know, it, it's, it's funny. One of, uh, I'm going to go, I'm just going to tell the story about how I, I first found this record. Cause it's kind of interesting and, um, kind of funny. Um, our friend Lyle, Lyle mm-hmm. Hendricks, uh, good friend of ours. He was, um, guitarist and one of our bands. Um, I, yeah. So, uh, he gave me a copy, a CD copy, of course, um, back in the day of on letting go. I was about to go to the outer banks for a trip, outer banks, North Carolina, mm-hmm. um, with my family. So we went out on a trip. Um, and I don't know, for some reason, circa just, I, they'd had a record, you know, out before and, um, Rev, you introduced me to Seos and years before. Well, that's when what Anthony I was going to ask. Was, Is this the first record you it. actually listened to? Because I, I thought you would have listened to, what's the one first with that, Jintura, Circa is that record. what it is? J- Jeterna is yeah, the, uh, okay. the first record. But did um, you never really listen to that one? You know, it's funny, I just did not, I knew Circa existed, 
I just yeah. didn't know it was Anthony Green, the guy from Sayosin, okay. who I loved so much, was the front man of this band. So I had no clue. Okay, um, okay. So, you know, our friend Lyle gave me the record. I went on this trip, and um, it was like the sixth or seventh day I ran out of weed. Uh, I had not <laughs> tried the record yet. You know, I was kind of skeptical. But the artwork, um, I was really intrigued by the artwork. It's super um, cool artwork. And I'm going to segue into that in a minute but i decided on the last night of the trip i had just been out to eat with uh with my aunt i think and i asked some sketchy dude at the bar who was playing drums in his jam band if he knew where to get weed it seems like a pretty safe bet the sketchy guy playing drums drummers always know where the weed's at and in a jam exactly (laughs) yeah he had a ponytail and a zeppelin shirt on i'm like this is definitely like don't bullshit me bro i know you have some like i know you have so I asked him, um, he's like, yo, are you a cop? Cause like, you're a kid. I'm like, no, I'm not. Please just give me some. Yeah. They let meat. kids be cops. Asshole. Exactly. <laughs> like some reverse so, 21 jump street shit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So this dude ended up giving me some weed and I was a pretty seasoned smoker at this time, but this shit fucked my world up. I don't know. <laughs> I thought it was laced at this time. Like, I don't know. I was out of my fucking mind, but I went to this lifeguard stand and had my Walkman in my backpack because, you know, I was hiding the smoking from (laughs) the family. Mm -hmm. So, obviously, I went out to the beach to get high. Um, You know, and I got super fucking lit, and I put this record on, um, and I pressed play. And the atmosphere, the ocean, there was, like, this weird lighting kind of, and I don't know how many times I listened to this record front to back probably for four or five hours sitting on this lifeguard stand and it was unlike any experience i had ever had in my life um i had never heard anything like circa um you know that the you know i've heard bands you know step down tuning and you know post hardcore bands and you know minus the bear very technically proficient bands which i have a deep appreciation for but I had never heard it in such an ambient kind of visceral way. I don't, I really don't know how to well, describe they're a, it. Yeah. They're very, I mean, the, as a band they're they're definitely an out of the box band. And at the time they were between Anthony Green's vocals and the creativity behind the music that is Circa. Like it's, it, it's hard to put hey. into a box. It's very, it's, it's similar to a lot of things. But in at the same way, it is. It's not like anything else. Unlike uh, yeah. anything I remember, else. Exactly. I remember yeah. the first time I ever got turned on to anything Anthony Green related. Uh, I was a kid. I was fucking at this party house that um, I. Whatever. Who's gonna bust me? I was selling weed through this party house when I was a kid, <laughs> um, just trying to make ends meet or whatever. And I was hanging out. None of the kids. None of the kids that hung out with me there were from my world, the music world. You know, they were, I, we just smoked weed together. But right, I was on my way to that house, and my older brother, shout out Travis, gave me this uh, mix CD that had a couple songs off translating the name from the Sayasin White EP. And yep. immediately, I mean, the first thing that is a shocker about that band was Anthony Green. You're just like, and this is the first time I know he wasn't he was nobody. He was just a fucking asshole in California. You know, like no one knew who he was yet. 
but even still, he had such a profound impact on my brain. And then uh, we're in North Carolina, so we see the world like six months later than it actually happens. So pretty soon after that, I got my hands on Juntorna. And it was, at first I was like, I don't understand this. It's too heady for me, man. Like I'm looking for breakdowns and double kick stuff and, but it's the same guy. And so I was like, well, I will, I will give this shit a listen. And then I ended up falling in love with Juntorna, like falling in love with it. And that was while I was in a, like my die by the sword days and I was in metal bands and Oddly enough, all those kids were listening to June Turner too, just obsessed with it. Like, even though it wasn't yeah. really metal, but like you said, it has all these elements of that moment where it was like screamo, post hardcore, like melodic hardcore, all of these, um, you know, things that were happening. But the guitar lines are so heady that I could barely even comprehend them. And Anthony Green's voice, once again, it just stuck out. So at that point in my life, Anthony Green was a dude that would always be on the map for me. And even when they put out June Turner, um, they weren't like he wasn't the powerhouse, you know, that people know him as today. But exactly. I think that in the segue to On Letting Go, like June Turner is kind of you can tell that it's a brand new band and. You know, he doesn't feel totally comfortable. I, I mean, maybe he did, but he doesn't sound at home quite yet. But on On Letting Go, that's the record where they sank into what they would become. You know, it, that is the first record that sounds like the circus survived. You will go see live today. You know? Yes. And, you know, and um, interesting fact about that record. Um, and as a guitar player, honestly, as soon as I fell in love with that record, um, you know, I wanted to learn how to play it, obviously. Um, you know, and it's very technically proficient, so uh, very hard, like, uh, very hard record to learn. God, and um, how did you even figure how out how to play? How did you figure out what fucking effects they're using? Because it's like, I mean, I hear a circa, and I'm just like, uh, well, I mean, yeah, I could figure out the guitar line maybe, but their pedal chains are probably just ridiculous. So I can't, oh my God, I can't start thinking about that. Like, their pedal work is a puzzle in its own. But I'm sure uh, that was I'm sure it's a secret record, too. Um, you know, they, when they recorded it, actually, Brendan and Colin are their, their guitarists. Um, and something I read about this a little while ago, and I'll, um, I'll explain that in a minute, but they, they ended up actually putting out a tab book for this, uh, <laughs> for this record. Um, and it, one of the reasons is they explained that Brendan and Colin communicated very little, um, about guitar parts while recording this this record, um, their sole focus, I guess, was to um, rely on the trust that they had between them, um, and to focus on expanding basically their abilities and their ideas. So they recorded this entire record without knowing that they were in different tunings. Um, oh, that's cool. Yeah, that's cool. Pretty. Pretty wild. So Colin was, I guess, a full step down, and Brendan was only a half step down. Hmm. And with McTurnan's mixing, um, you know, his method of mixing, especially for for Circa, um, with their ambient sound, is to kind of pan, you know, send those guitars back and forth and pan them. So when you're trying to learn how to play these songs, they're panning. They're in different tunings. So you <laughs> will find yourself on the right riff and then all of a sudden a note does not make sense 
That's cool as hell. So hey, it's remind cool me. As shit. I read a thing today <laughs> about this record as I was doing like my final research on it that they attribute a lot of the um, cohesiveness of the group to the fact that Anthony Green played some guitar on it. I don't know how true that is, but so remind me, this is after Avalon, correct? Like had Avalon Int- already come out? I- interesting. I um. Because I think I can this is 07. Tell you, I think that either Avalon had just come out or it was about to come out. You know, it, it was, was that phase. Just released. Yeah, it was definitely it around that talk. phase. Yeah. So like, um, so I, I read that <clears throat> basically, and it makes a lot of sense with that you said how they weren't really communicating a lot. But mm-hmm. I guess when it, they were writing a so lot of the was, record, uh, this was before Avalon came out in 2008. Okay, cool. So it's probably okay. what led him to be confident enough to actually make a solo record uh, on a guitar because they said that he yes. had been playing guitar all this time, but he had finally learned how to play guitar enough to where he could write sections by himself and be like, oh, this huh. is my vocal line for this. And then he would just kind of be like, oh, well, that's my idea. And then the dudes would just basically take whatever ideas he had, make them their own. But it kind of made them more of like a unit in that way instead of Anthony so Green wrote, just being a was, singer. You so know? probably more as like a songwriting, like picking chords. That, yeah, that's what I'm saying. Basically writing little sections of vocals with chords with it and then letting exactly. the guys as opposed rip to, that apart and then it, make guitar lines. Yeah, as opposed it. to in June exactly. Turner, from that what I sense. understand, the band wrote a track and, and then he, Anthony Green literally just sang on top of yeah. it. And he had no... Um, he just got handed a track. So he was actually doing some songwriting of yes. a little bit more integral songwriting in this rather than just singing on tracks. Yeah, which Very I kind interesting of you bring that up, actually. He, <clears throat> and I believe their writing format now is, it has changed a lot through the years, but from the On Letting Go days, I think probably all the way through, I, I'm, I think the census, he would come to the band a lot of times with an acoustic idea um, and a vocal line, vocal melody, and they would build from from that. So he has been a very integral part of the writing process. Um, and they also demoed a bunch of songs that made it to Avalon for On Letting Go, um, oh, which was on the deluxe version. And it was very interesting to hear Circa's interpretation of songs that became... Um, you know, more of more of folk songs, yeah, especially with good old Wars down. influence. Hold exactly. Up. I got something to say about this. So when I got Avalon Deluxe as a kid, loved it. Mm-hmm. And I was so confused by the last track because the song that Anthony Green had co written with um, John Feldman. Dear yeah, Dear Child. Dear Child. Yep. And yep. I I mean it sounds like a Feldman track uh, on the record because it's just so in your face and it moves so quickly. Like a John Feldman does, like song does, but at the end of the record there was a song. It was the same version, but it was called the Good Old War version. And at this time, exactly. I didn't know Good Old War was a fucking band. I mean, this was I was a child. I didn't learn about Good Old War until I lived in Colorado. So the the concept of that, I just knew that I loved that version way more because it was just ripping acoustics and stuff. But then later in life. I learned that that was actually the band, Good Old War, backing Anthony Green. And then they actually backed him for most of that record and then continued to work with him because they grew up together and all that stuff. But, I mean, I, I can attribute Anthony Green to absolutely dropping Good Old War in my lap. And I love Good Old oh. War. And they have, they've influenced me quite a bit in my life, musically. Absolutely. Yeah, that's, I would say, probably one of my top five favorite bands of all time. 
Yeah, I can't wait till somebody picks a good old war record. I, I got stories, son. Which is cool because if the Avalon yeah. came out in two thousand eight, that means I don't I don't have off the top of my head when it was recorded, but it was recorded a little before that, and I mean that. So that means I mean, good old war started in two thousand eight. So that would have been like all happening right at the same time as they were forming and figuring out what kind of a band they were it would be. Exactly, were with putting him. out their first full length <clears throat> and, and so, working with him at the same time. So, I mean, that it's it, you'd almost have to think that he and that record would have had a big part of helping them form their sound and figure out what they were going to be, you know? Absolutely, and for people who don't know, exactly. Anthony Green sang on their first record, Good Old Wars, and he also sang on one of their latest records that they've released. So <clears throat> they've always gotten along, and they've always been friends, because I believe they all grew up in the same kind of scene in Philly, kind of like all the circuit dudes. Like, I... I yes. read this, and I think this is really cool. Um, for people who don't know, Anthony Green is a Philly kid, and he wanted to go chase his dreams, and he moved to California, and then he joined this band called Sayasin. And Sayasin was so poised to become massive. Like, they had just gotten their deal with Capitol. They were about to be a massive, massive, like, metal band. And Anthony Green basically told the dudes, he's like, I need to take a couple weeks off just to go home and chill. And when he went home and chilled, that's when he started hooking up with Colin and they started writing and they kind of built Circa. And then he bailed on Sayosin immediately, which, I mean, really put that into perspective. You have fought for music your entire life. He's fought with drug addiction. And he finally had his moment where it's like, dude, you're about to make it. And he walked away from it because I remember this old interview in AP where he kind of makes fun of the LA scene because he went out there and he's like, oh, you guys are still doing this shit? Like, we're over this in Philly, but hey, if that's what you want me to do, I can kill it. And so he just did his best and obviously became so integral to the Sayosin sound that they've literally just been chasing dudes who sounded somewhat like him for until their entire he career. Came until back he came and made back. a record with them. Yeah. Exactly. So I think that's, <laughs> exactly. I think that's really cool. Um, I never, I've never seen Anthony Green with Sayosin because the one date that the Taste of Chaos tour that I went to, um, he he didn't miss he missed his flight and so he didn't show up. But the Sayasin dudes you saying that yeah the Sayasin dudes played and like basically a bunch of guys from the tour went up and just kind of sang together the songs because I mean they were playing you know a thirty minute set and most of the tracks that they were playing were old Sayasin songs that were big songs because their new record had just dropped or it was about to. But it was a big tour. It was Taking Back Sunday, Dashboard Confessionals, Sayosin, and the early November. Oh, so, I remember that tour. That was huge. Yeah, it was It was basically just a big-ass nostalgia tour. I mean, big enough to where Sayosin's name was billed Sayosin with Anthony Green. You know, because yes. obviously he's a powerhouse yeah. at this point. And it makes a difference. Yeah. It makes a massive difference. For, for people wanting to go see it, you know. It's funny. Anthony Another Green... Another interesting fact about, ahead, uh, about the... Um, relationship with anthony and colin is you know with good old war of course you know stemming from days away mm -hmm. um colin's brother was i believe a member of days away interesting hmm. um yeah i i believe he played bass if i'm not mistaken um, cool. i'm gonna take a second I right now very wrong about to that, just say if anybody's never heard of the band days away Go check it out. It's a fantastic band. It's basically good old war electric. And I was so yes. twisted up in my fucking head or whatever when Days Away was active. 
Well, it's not even being twisted up. It's just inaccessibility. I mean, the world was different back then. You can't just, like Rev was talking about earlier, there's no, no fucking Spotify playlist, like, you know, basically being like, hey, these are the songs that we think you'll probably like. I mean, at that point in life, if you wanted to find new music, your ass was on pure volume. Your ass was on MySpace, literally just searching bands by like cities and genres. And it was hard to find bands back then. You had to dig. And if you did find a band that was really good, it was almost like a rite of passage. Like if no one had ever heard of it, it's like, well, look what I found, man. And that kind of goes back to what we were talking about earlier when you were talking about Blink and Sum 41 and then Newfound Glory got thrown in your lap. Because Newfound Glory was a step... You had to dig to find that shit, you know? And I mean, the way I found Newfound Glory was through... I was a kid, and I was in Salt Lake City, and Blink-182 was playing with a band called Phoenix TX. I looked up Phoenix TX. I realized they're on a record label. Yeah, I realized they're on a record label called Drive Through Records, and then I'm like, okay, well, what's Drive Through Records all about? And then I'm looking through Drive Through Records, and there's like their first signing batch was like Alistair, Arcs, Bandits, uh, fucking Midtown, a couple bands like that. But then Newfound Glory was also one of them, and I remember just buying. a newfound glory record you know but i mean that shows you how much digging you had to do to get to a band like nfg where now they're like one of the most you know accessible pop punk bands that are around now because you know it's been over 20 years since they've been a band and they've become very big exactly so, so I bands mean, like the most prolific pop punk band in the scene absolutely so bands like days away and good old war and all that stuff and honestly at the time of circa's <laughs> birth they were all hard to find you had to dig to find that shit you couldn't just you know, just go through life without looking and ended up end up having it in your life. You had to pay attention a little bit. And I think exactly. you kind of have to earn it, you know, and I respect that, even though that's not the way it is anymore. No, no, it wasn't. And that would be a lot of what sparked, you know, the, uh, the driveway sessions. You know, we would find a new record. And I would call you or you would call me. and Absolutely. We'd just be like, dude, I found something, man. You got to hear this. And we would get together and that's just kind of the way we always traded music yeah it's so funny um this was also back in the days i'm 32 i'm an old ass piece of shit but (laughs) um those those days for me you know we talk about this on this podcast sometimes and we talk about if a record was you know digested over mp3s an ipod or whatever or like a disc you know and um back in these days it was all discs you know i mean we I'm I'm pretty sure you probably digested this album on compact disc as a opposed to yeah yeah so, as a Walkman po- yeah. with some shitty headphones you know like exactly. the over ear ones that after you know 20 minutes your ears are just feel some like they're those, gonna fall off some whack ass Sony's <laughs> or some shit those yeah, yeah rigid exactly ass ones, yeah but that's important exactly. for people to understand too because that was a different that was the world of albums. I mean, you digested this world as an album, and now, if this record came out, honestly, it might not even hit you the same way, because doubtfully, the first song you would hear on the record would be the actual first song on the record. No, you would have heard five songs, more than likely, all released as pre-release singles. Get I build hype over five months, so by the time the record comes out, you don't give a shit about it. Exactly. Exactly, (laughs) and I digested this fresh. As as a whole. Completely fresh. As a whole, having no preconceived notions of what Circa was. And I think that was the most beautiful part of this experience for me, because at that time, you know, I loved what I loved. So, yeah, if a single got dropped... 
I was all about it. You know, oh, yeah, I would sure. play it until it was burnt out. The record would come out, and I would skip that song. And there was something really just kind of organic and and kind of magical about this experience with this record. And I mean, this band has since become a just a huge part of my life in so many ways. Absolutely. It has gotten me through. You know, dark times, good times. Um, you know, I lost my father to, you know, unfortunately, I lost my father to a suicide years ago. Um, they dropped an album that week. I mean, that album meant everything to me at that time. Um, another thing that I love about this band is they, you know, they're they're very selfless as, as far as like charitable causes. That's go. what I was going to um, say is everything I know about this band. And like you, like I said, you've been a, such a big fan of Anthony green and Circa for so long that you've told, just told me all these things. And I feel like everyone I meet who you, that you rarely meet someone who is just a fan of Circa. They either are not really into Circa or they are obsessed and they, obsessed, they love hard. it. Absolutely. And like, yeah. and part of that is, I think, because of all that they do. It's not just some albums that a band makes, and it's not just a couple guys doing some music. Like it is, it's almost like they create like a. I don't want to say like it's it's not culty, but it's like a lifestyle around no, it. It's kind of culty, which like they attracts people, a and they exactly because it's it's not just the music. Like you were just about to talk about, it's like it's it's so much more than that, you know. I remember. Um when the shooting happened in Orlando at the the, um, at the nightclub, at the nightclub, yep. um, you know, I, I guess they posted something about it, um, and some of their fans were bigoted in their responses about you know towards the LGBTQ yeah, uh, yep, yep. community, yep. Um, and they posted and made a T-shirt that said something along the lines of, you know, if if you're not accepting of other human beings, if you are not on that level of enlightenment, please burn our records and fuck off. Um, which I thought was one of the coolest things. It's fucking awesome. Yeah. And I remember, um, I remember they, they put out, um, there was a bunch of bands that got together and put a sampler out when that happened for like, for proceeds to go to the families and stuff. Yes. I remember Circa was a yes. big part of that. I think they had multiple songs on it. Anthony Green had multiple songs on it. It was like 40 Precisely. songs long. Pretty Which cool. is it, and I think that's great. It's it's great to see musicians and artists now because people are so wrapped up with either trying to make it or holding on to the success they have. Where music has a long tradition of of being an activist platform from people like the big movement, in the sixties, people like John Lennon, or is an anti-war exactly. movement or an equal rights movement. And it's so cool to see people still use their platform for for good. For and good. I think that currently. Exactly. It, w whether you think it's a good thing or a bad thing, I know people argue about it, like political correctness, all this, blah blah blah. Like we are in another movement currently right now of equal rights and all of all of these things, which is great, and it's awesome to see artists like that using their platform to talk about things that they believe in, like like in this exact situation where and to stand up for exactly. their beliefs. Yeah, I mean, it's a beautiful thing because man. music um, is powerful, and if you use it for good and things like that and you have and you create music that people are into you can take someone who is maybe they don't know maybe they haven't thought about some of these issues that much or maybe they're on the edge and you can totally 
change somebody's life and push them in a better direction because you have that ability as an artist to to influence people. You know, you are one of the greatest influencers. You're not just some asshole on Instagram pushing new hair vitamins or some shit. Hashtag exactly. Mad. Yeah, hashtag exactly. whatever. You're... Some new tea or something. <laughs> I don't even know. Well, hey, no, guys, before, before we get too much deeper into this, I'm going to drop a couple facts on you about this record. Drop them. All right. Bring them. So, like Michael said, it was released on May 29th, 2007 by EVR. Um, Brian McTurnan, Salad Days, Beltsville, Maryland. A lot like the last episode that we did with Thrice. Um, this, this record debuted 24 on the U.S. Billboard 200, which ain't fucking bad. No, that is pretty. At all. No, that is pretty fucking impressive. So <laughs> for a sophomore album too. I know. Yep, it's their sophomore yeah. album. That's, that's yeah. um, and they they dropped uh, twenty four thousand copies first week. They sold that many. So that's that's quite good as well, especially that's when you think really about two thousand seven. I would like to know what that feels like. Uh, I would like, I would like to know <laughs> what the numbers are now. <laughs> yeah. Oh, actually, I don't want to know those numbers. They just make me all twist up. <laughs> They'd be like, with the streaming numbers. They'd be like, it doesn't, it's not the same. Fuck you. Whatever. I don't want to get into the, the industry here. But um, yeah, that kind of gives some people some idea of um, some background on the release of the record. So they kind of know, um, you know what we're talking about. And this is, like I just said, this is 2007. So, I mean, if you could think about maybe what records were going on at that time or like what the big songs were. Of 2007, it was a twisted moment because I, I mean, this is a, this is a time where the the scene, as so many people affectionately call it, the the music world that you know I'm a part of and that I've grown up in, the the Warp Tour scene or what have you, um, it had moved very far away from what it was when I was a kid. It was just growing so rapidly. I mean, we're talking about. Bands like yeah. Cartel are here now, and like, well, and this is this is my time to shine because I always love to do this. Two thousand seven, we're gonna we're gonna bring up some of the top songs from the year that this record came out. I can't wait. So, ooh, fun. This is a good one. This is one of my favorites. I'm just gonna. Okay, so no, the number one, I'll give number one. It's you have Irreplaceable by uh, by Beyonce, Queen Bay. Oh, so she's she's solo ooh, now. Okay. Oh yeah, Queen Bay. Okay, number two. Wow. The Jam. I mean, how can you not love this song? You got Umbrella. Umbrella. Rihanna coming in at number two. Um, Ella. Ella. Yeah, Ella. Ella. Yeah, that's <laughs> yeah. right. And then uh, number three, I don't even remember this song, The Sweet Escape by Gwen Stefani. But for the big one for me is the honorable mention. And this is Billboard charts for the year. So number seven, which is pretty high up there, you have... Hey There Delilah by the Plain White Tees. Yeah, man. So oh, you're wow. crossing worlds a little bit there. And that's number seven for the whole year. So that's, Interesting. that's pretty big. Yeah, I got some info right that here that's going to twist you guys right up. Twist it. I'm going to name a couple records that dropped in 2007. So you can see what, um, I mean, we're talking about 23 on the fucking billboards when it released. Is that what he says? Number 23? Yeah. Okay, so check this out. This is who they were up against. All Time Low, So Wrong It's Right, which is the record with Dear Maria. That was the oh, first big record. It's a good one. Paramore, yeah, that was huge. Riot. Very good record. Which arguably might have been Paramore's breakout record, Riot. Um, Fall Out Boy, Infinity on High. Ooh, great, great yep. album. Mayday yep. Parade, Lesson in Romantics. Wow. You've the got, pop punk was going strong. It was going strong, son. Strong Yo, you got time. Reliant K, Five Score and Seven Years Ago. Also a Love great that record. record. Yep. Yep. Uh, I believe it. you have the Wonder Years first album. 
which is just showing you what is about to happen. Uh, you have Saves the Day, Under the Boards, Four Years Strong, Rise love, or Die Trying. That, love that record. Oh, man. Newfound Glory. Newfound Glory, Screen to Your Stereo 2. Uh, yellow Card, Paper Walls. I mean, oh my God. It was, it was, it And was I know from my moment. own personal experience, David Brothers and Rev, you and I were working at Kmart when that record came out. Paper that walls. job sucked. <laughs> <laughs> I got my ass fired. I think I actually just walked out. but We all did. Yeah, yeah we all did. It was terrible. Doesn't it feel good to walk out of a job? Who I don't know was, if that was your only time or whatever. George. I've walked out of a job. It felt good. <laughs> George Bernal, that was the other guy. And we all fucking walked out. And it did feel good. I remember they told me to like rearrange like some candy or some shit by the register and i was just like what the fuck am i doing i just walked i was like this is bullshit it's a friday george night. was jack and dvds i took a copy <laughs> of yellow card and said fuck off like i'm out <laughs> yeah terrorized that damn that was place great yes we did that's hilarious all right let's get back to the record i'm gonna bring up i'm just gonna so i was not overly familiar with this record mm-hmm. i'm glad you picked it because it gave me a chance. I, it's always fun when people pick records that I don't really know that well. Because it gives me a chance to get into a really, really good record. I have to say, first of all, track five is one of my jams. Mandala. And that is Mandala, yes. Yeah. Oh my god, what a song. Dude, that song is sick. And like the, for me, I'm a guitarist, so... I focus in on guitar and like you guys were talking about all the effects and like, I just, the delay work on this record is so fun to listen to. Oh, track three and five. The delay work is, it's just, it, is what made me buy a delay pedal. Yeah. Track five. That's <laughs> what it, I mean. It starts with the delay. It, it's just like, it's just fun to listen to. I just like, for me, that was the first thing I zoned in on was just studying the delay and the guitar work in this. Cause I don't, I still don't really mess around with delays very much, but it was fun to like, be like, okay, this is kind of, I, I'm kind of getting turned on by this. I could see how this could be a lot of fun, you know? Mm-hmm. Which yeah. Is, yeah. Which delay is, is very mathematical and I was never good with mathematics. So <laughs> I was never good with delay. <laughs> I hate math, but I tried. Math hates me more than I hate it. That's for goddamn sure. And that song, that uh, <laughs> even like the way that the there's like that tom riff that comes in, where it's like yes. it's like a it's a really interesting way they put it together in that track because like the drums are like the drums are almost chaotic in the way that the toms are just like it's like this crazy tom roll. But then Anthony Green comes up on top and he's almost got like a soothing kind of like it's like a softer like approach why this chaos is happening underneath. Exactly, it's really and the guitars cool. do the exact same thing. Yeah. I mean, the, it was very interesting. I think McTurnan definitely used Anthony's voice in this record almost as if he was using a, like a third guitar. Absolutely, an instrument. I mean, it was. I have yeah. that actually on my notes where it's like I I say Anthony Green seems like he's literally being an instrument and also seems mo- the most comfortable I had heard them at that point or heard him at that point. Probably yeah. ever. Like he, yeah, I mean, and I'm definitely. talking mostly, okay, so when you put this record in and the first track comes out, um, right out of the gate, it's just these fucking bendy ass guitar lines that are fucking gnar, right? <laughs> and then when Anthony Green comes in, you're like, oh, damn. This is, this is an Anthony Green I've never heard before. 
and and it's also the guitar like riffs and stuff or something I that was not on June Turner. There's an intensity to that first track that's basically like sit down, son. You don't know shit about Circus Survive, and we're about to teach you everything uh, <laughs> about Circus Survive. Yeah, and I and really then they love hit that. You with the second track, semi-constructive criticism. Yeah, which I mean, is such a dynamic song. I mean, it is chaotic, and then they will drop into this ambient, beautiful, just you know, almost soothing, you know, but for seconds, and then the chaos resumes, and then you know, they have such a beautiful balance between that. Um, and I think that's what drew me to this record, um, front to back. I mean, you have songs like, um, you know, In the Morning and The Amazing, Semi-Constructive Criticism, and then you have songs like Travel Him and Kicking Your Crosses Down. Which Travel Him, which I have to point out, down. Travel Him to me was like, that is that is a pop song, which you don't really get yes. that much on this record. A lot of it's very experimental. It's very, it, it doesn't stick to pop standards. And that one is as close as it gets to me of like, which I'm a pop music guy. I love pop music. I like that's of a course. lot of what we do. Yeah. And like, bam! Like it, that one. The first listen, I was like, okay, I totally get this song. I know what's happening. I know what they're doing here. They're and it's all very structured. So for me, that's I was one of the other ones I was going to bring up is like definitely one of my favorite songs just because it gives me everything I want instantly from a song. It's like the first surface one that I grabbed out of this record. Uh, well, also yes. that kind of track, which was. Uh, seemingly unusual for them on this record basically frames their next album because their next album is an album full of tracks like that i mean with a little bit more of a pop structure to it so it's still very experimental right. but like well, i'm talking about like songs them. like get out and yeah like, exactly what was gonna it was come their major next. label debut and their it's, only major label yeah right blue sky noise um, and that's a very interesting subject as well, because they had someone at Atlantic Records that was 100% behind them, that loved Circa. Um, and then they got fired from huh. Atlantic Records Dude, almost as soon as Circus signed. Tale as so old as time. They had a two-record contract. With no they support. did Blue Sky. And, dude, I mean, if you listen to that record, it was very poorly mixed, which I was very happy for the uh, the remaster to come out. But um, I think they were trying to give them such a big sound. If you really listen to that, especially in Get Out, in the first, the very first, like, 15 seconds, you can hear that Anthony's voice is peaking. Hmm. You know, it, it, it really, if you listen to it... Um, you I know, later on, give fucking, it a listen. Love that fucking. That is by far, that is one that of my favorite. That is, whole album is one of my favorites by them. But like, and and that's because like you were saying, like that they do takes a little bit more pop sensibility. That like songs like Get Out, you are in the hook as the song starts. You don't yeah. wait for anything. The hook, you were like when he it that first note when he starts singing, you're like, okay, I'm in it. Like we are here, and this is happening. Exactly. Like, there's no wait time on that. I can For say a record very record where good. they were definitely given sort of a a skeleton to work from. I mean, when you're working with a major label, they they are, you know, they want well, they want a specific a product sound. That they, they want can something sell. that's going to sell. Absolutely, exactly. and that, I mean, that is what it is. Yo, you know? but before we start so, talking about Get Out, I have to say that very few things in life will give you the kind of feeling 
that watching them play that song live will give you. I watched them play Get Out uh, two a year ago, uh, about a year ago in L.A. And it With thrice, yeah, it was unbelievable. Yep. Like it was unbelievable because obviously, like you're talking about, that record suffered from bad mixing and mastering, and it's like this is a live show and. I mean, if anybody's ever seen Circus Survive, this is like the point where Anthony Green takes his shirt off. Like, you know what I'm saying? Shit's oh, about yeah. to get real. I mean, you know? he goes wild. Absolute he, ham. He, Dude goes nuts. When I I saw them at the House of Blues um, in November, and this motherfucker held a mic stand in the air with his teeth. <laughs> Dude is so vicious. You guys know how heavy those are. Jesus Christ. That makes yeah, my teeth like, hurt just thinking about it. Yeah, I just thinking about it. I mean, makes I my wallet hurt thinking about my... the dental bill. Good God. Yeah, precisely. <laughs> Jesus. Um, I mean, I, this guy just goes insane. Insane. Gnarly. I mean, I've seen them perform that song countless times. But, yeah, I mean, live, it is a different experience. I mean, they are a phenomenal phenomenal band line. and that's what i mean that is another thing that makes me love them so absolutely much. that's part of what they're makes, not just great on record you know absolutely that's what part of what makes them such an iconic and like a culty band is because it has you have to have to be one of those bands you have to have every aspect of it and they do and they do they, they absolutely they do, do. Yep. yeah let me tell you guys something real the quick other aspect yeah go ahead go ahead right. so i was um i'm just gonna tell you about this show i went to because it's kind of a funny story um, when I was in LA, I saw that The Balance and Thrice and Circus show. What and a show, man. I know. Balance, oh my God. Last time you'll ever see him, too. I know. So check this out, motherfucker. We're sitting at this, <laughs> we're sitting at this like apartment before the show. I'm, I'm there with like this girl and some of her friends, and they're just obsessed with the, the current Thrice record at the time. Um, everything. Which is and, great. Yeah, great record, whatever. But. I'm all like, the whole time, I'm like, yeah, but yo, like, Circus Survive. And I'm starting to realize this um, this vibe where it's like, well, Thrice is a California band, and Circus is a Philly mm. band. So we got, like, East Coast, West Coast going on. And it's not like gotcha. they don't fight over it, but I'm starting to realize that these Cali kids, they don't know what they're about to get because they're not as familiar with Circa. And I'm thinking, like, they did two nights. The first night, Thrice had... Uh, yeah, the first night Thrice headlined, and the night that I went, Circa headlined. And everyone's just like, yeah, taking, they want to go get drinks, they want to go whatever, and we're like getting Ubers, and I'm, I keep being like, yo, we can't be late for this show because I'm really interested in seeing balance and composure, and they're all just like, never fucking heard of them. I'm like, well, you're stupid, we need to fucking get, get our <laughs> shit together and get down there. And they're yeah, like, there's seriously. plenty of time, there's plenty of time, there's plenty of time. So we get out of our Uber, and the first thing that I hear is thrice and i'm like bitch thrice is playing right now and i, oh, I got no. so twisted up all of a sudden i left my pack of cigarettes in the uber bitch drove off without them <laughs> like i had no cigarettes and like this is actually something i learned that night i play shows i don't go to shows but in those big shows you're not allowed to go with an open pack of cigarettes did you know that michael i yes, didn't know I that do. see i didn't know that and so like I had an unopened pack of cigarettes, and so I got fucked. I had no cigarettes for this whole show, which for me is a pretty fucking big deal. But I'm hearing Thrice play, and immediately I'm like, fuck, I'm missing Thrice. And also, I am crushed because balance is done. I am so, so sad you missed that. Yeah, so the, all these stupid L.A. So motherfuckers good. are so twisted up and caught up and going to goddamn 
you know, getting some fucking cocktail or some shit, that they totally fucked that show up for me. I mean, I showed up, I saw like most of Thrice's set, and then everybody else, like, I saw the room, like, obviously Circa's huge in LA, but I saw yeah. a damper in the crowd when they stepped on stage, and I didn't understand it because at the time, I mean, Thrice I've always loved, but I've seen Thrice. You know, I've never seen Circa. This was my first Circa experience. I was very, very excited to see it. Nice. But man, the crowd was so limp dick for a minute. It took a while for them to actually jump into it like they had jumped into it with Thrice. And it bummed me out. And it made me realize, it's like, man, Circa is so heady <laughs> that the normal asshole can't even appreciate it for how good it is. You know, and that made me realize that for the first time ever. Because so much shit's going on. And I'm not like in the front. I'm not moshing. I, I do my classic. I'm standing on the side studying, like going to school and just watching everything every member is doing. And I'm not going to risk bumping into people or slamming beers to miss this opportunity to learn. And like every member, and it's not even about what they're playing. They all have their own stage presence too. And it's all very individualistic exactly. to them. And then you've got Anthony Green just running around the goddamn stage like like a, I mean, basically reminds me like a 17-year-old Adam Lazara on crack without a t-shirt. Exactly. You know, just going <laughs> ape shit. Just absolutely but going nuts. they have a wonderful sense of where the other members are. I have yeah. seen them so many times and have never seen them collide, which is very strange because you impressive. have seen him perform live. <laughs> quite impressive. insane. They're probably just it like, very number one rule of live shows, just get out of Anthony's way. Exactly. <laughs> Pretty much. Because, yeah, I saw, him, like you was talking about mic stands. I saw that motherfucker pick the mic stand up. It was a tripod mic stand. He closed the tripod, held the three bottom parts, and he was holding the mic in his hand. And he just swinging it like a fucking lasso. <laughs> it's like, what is he uh, yep. even doing, man? Like, could kill a man with that. He could absolutely kill a yeah. man. <laughs> the same night he held it in his teeth, I think he threw it like 40 feet in the air and caught it. Shit, that's impressive just like, to throw anything just 40 feet in the air. Insane. I mean, he's, yeah. He's unlike he's is, unlike uh, anyone else. He's on another level. Yep. It and it's to funny too. Shows. When you hear that band on tape, like especially when you put on On Letting Go and you hear that first track, they're obviously as an EVR band, the first thing that I think of is, eh, there's no way they're this good live. There's no way. But then you see it and you're like, damn, they are way better live than they are on tape. And that's rare. But they are better live than they, yes. Precisely. It's very rare in that yeah, scene. Which is something I respect. I mean, that means a lot to me. If I if I go to a show and your performance is so subpar, and a lot of that I, I think I can attribute to bands using things in the studio that they just can't use live, which, you know. Yeah, I agree. I and, think, you um, know, there's something else there, too. I don't know what it is. Like, maybe they're not hungry enough or something, but I remember when me and Rev... Um, when we opened up for Blink, it was though I had never been able to see Blink because I grew up as a pretty poor kid, and my parents were not into sending me to shows. And all the tickets I for Blink, that. they were expensive, and I never could afford to see them. So when I finally did get to see them, the motherfucker that impressed me the most was Matt Skiba. And then I'm like mm -hmm. realizing, it's like, oh, well, he's been battling in clubs for years, and he has to be good. But, I mean, a lot of the stuff I was hearing vocally was very, very unimpressive for what the level of musicianship was on stage, you know, and I'm not dogging yeah. Blink-182. They're one of my favorite bands in the entire world. 
Understood. I was very lucky to see them way back in the day. Enema of the state days with wow. Green Day. Wow. Like, yeah, that was my first show, actually. Whoa, that's cool. Very fortunate. We talked about my first show on the last podcast. It was Reliant K at uh, a Baptist church in Asheville. I remember so. that because you guys actually, I met you right after you saw them and you guys got me into them. Yeah, that's a that's a crazy time, man. It was um, it's weird when you think back to us being kids and you're thinking about what was the first concert you ever went to. It's so crazy. Like, yeah, yeah, it's a crazy thing, man. What was your first show, um, Rev? Michael's I, he, I mean, he has the best first show of all of us. I mean, my a blink and green day. Show? Mine's Ryan K. What was yours? Um, the first show of a proper band, Counting Crows. Jesus Christ, Rev, Rev wins. I think it was Kind of Crows and John Mayer. Oh, well, Rev wins. Yes. He's got the coolest first show then. Okay. Well, I had to nice. wait fucking forever till I was allowed to go. So Even still, that's that's my... That's, but I you think make, that probably you make our was shit the first real tired. concert I ever went to. That's Damn. a good show. I remember when you went to that, actually. It was a good one. I love both those bands still. Or yeah, I love John yeah. Mayer and County Crows. Phenomenal. Yes. So let me pull us back to this circuit record real quick. I want to talk about the last track on this record. Oh, let's please. Yeah. Let's talk so, about this. so the first thing that's the most impressive to me, and it just shows um, a love for music of all genres. And I doubt this is a McTurnan move. I bet it was the band's move. But correct me if I'm wrong. But that is a vocoder for like by itself for the first thirty seconds or some shit like that. There's rocking a vocoder, saying the same thing over and over again, which immediately perks yes. my ears up because it's so different from yes. what else was happening on this record. This um, this song actually, and I've I've read in many interviews, um, and when I saw them play this record front to back, I was very fortunate to catch them on their 10 year anniversary tour for this record. Um, Anthony stated that this was the most personal and saddest song he's ever written. You know, that's funny. Um, I think that this song has the most personal lyrics, but also the most identifiable lyrics on the entire album. Where you can yes. tell they're personal, but for some reason, yes. like, I identify with them. I mean, the song, for anyone who doesn't know, the song's called Your Friends Are Gone. So, yeah, I fucking identify with that, you know? I've lost yes. all my friends. Yes, I I can identify with that too, especially um, you know, I I you know, of course, you know, candidly I have struggled with drug addiction. Um and I you know, it, it's funny looking back at when I first listened to this record. Um I wasn't sure why it resonated with me so much, but looking back in hindsight, you know, I can see exactly why excuse me um why it why it meant so much because at the time and I, I really wasn't aware of where my life was heading um and the real cause and effect of the decisions that i was making at that point in my life yeah um you know that yeah, you guys are well aware of my history of mm -hmm. course but you know this record you know, touched on almost every one of those aspects of the things that I was going through at the time. Um, and I was not self-aware enough when I listened to the record or, you know, through the first two or three years of, you know, 
falling in love with this band because immediately after falling in love with On Letting Go, of course, I, you know, spun Jaterna for months, and that record is full of lyrical material that um, I was, you know, I could relate to very heavily at the, that time in my life. Yo, um, sidebar, In Fear and Faith is my favorite circus song. Dude, definitely just, one of my favorite I just want to put that out there. That's my favorite circus song. I would probably say my favorite circus song is Never Tell a Soul or, oh God, this is so hard. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, only the Sun from The Census. Damn. I remember hearing In Fear and Faith and immediately I was like, well, who the fuck is this? That was like, you know, like I was saying yes. earlier, like I got into Circa on the idea of him in Seosin. So that whole record kind of twisted me up in the beginning anyways but in fear and faith i was like oh well fuck sayison <laughs> yeah exactly Sayosin can uh, suck it this is killer so i'm going to segue this conversation in a different direction um are you gonna talk about part, some art i am talk about artwork so part of the reason that i love circus so fucking much is not just their records not just the humanitarian um, you know, empathic side that these these five individuals have, mm-hmm. um, not you know the depth to which their music has touched my life, my soul. It's gotten me through every tough time in my life. But their artwork is done by Esau Andrews, um, and I remember looking at the artwork for On Letting Go and just feeling this connection with it like you know i'd never been into visual art before i got into circa but upon finding these guys part of the appeal aside from their music was the artwork and the artist behind this so which he has looking him up he's created a a vision like there is a certain look of Circa Survive for people who don't know. Every yes. record is different, but there is a string of similarity between them all because it's the same guy that yeah. does all the art. Yeah. And do you actually know um, how they got together in the first place, Michael? Do you know how that happened? I do. Um, Go ahead and tell that story. Give us some background on the artist, too, so that people yeah, who have never heard of him have an idea of what we're talking about. Absolutely. So, you know... Um, I believe, I believe that um, he actually, so before Juturna, um, Circa released a an EP, yeah, the their Inuit, debut Inuit EP, sessions Inuit Sessions, yeah. yes. Um, and this was, I think, very early on in Esau's career. The artwork for that one is actually very uncomfortable to look at. Yeah, if, it's real um, creepy, right? It's very, very fucking creepy. Yeah. Um, it's like this worm thing, kind of like this. But like, like kind of uh, humanoid, leech. though. But like, very human like yeah. with limbs and all this. And it's very it's like. It's the things you know, nightmares are made of, basically. It, exactly. So, you know, he. Um, I mean, just to preface this, Esau is a modern master. Um, a living master in in the art world. Um, he's a pop surrealism painter. Um, I mean, if if 
anybody listening to this does not know of this artist, you should check him out because he is just, I mean, light years beyond anything you could possibly imagine. Um, so, you know, that, that record is what sparked my curiosity and my love for fine art. Um, you know, I started purchasing posters that Circa would sell with the artwork, um, any t-shirt with his artwork on it, I would purchase. Um, and this really didn't come into play until later. I was never a visual artist. I was always chasing music. But you were always um, very artistic. You were a writer and you were like, even with music, you were like, I, I think that it's just one thing I love that like now you found, I think you found what you're supposed to be doing because like with music, you always had a talent for it and you always had the artistic side of it was all, it always clicked, but it it was like the fundamentals of music where like you would just get frustrated with like the technical parts of like guitar lines or the technical parts of these, but like the art, the art you, it was there. Like you, you obviously had an extremely artistic mindset and you want like the writing side is what fit with you so like art was always for for my perspective for you it was always you were always meant to do art in some way shape or form and i never i never i never knew that i mean i never would have guessed that it would have been visual art and like once i saw you get into it and what you how quickly you started to pick it up and how it just like connected it was like oh okay well there it is that's what that's what he's supposed. That's what he was supposed to do. It was. You know, it, it's it's very funny. Um, you know, I was. I decided to. You know, I I got into a. Uh, got into a job there for a little while. I was working for two years for a corporate company. I was making money that most people dream of, but I was absolutely miserable the entire time. Um, the best thing that ever happened was that company fired me, um, <laughs> basically for not doing, um, you know, not sacrificing my moral compass to make them money. So they let me go, um, and in that period of time, I decided to pick my guitar back up, and I was writing a lot of music. Mm-hmm. Um, those last like five demos, I think I sent to you guys were. Yep, yep. Uh, yeah, I think this you is know, about I, I, this is about the time we came down there, right? Melody and I think this is probably a, this is probably about the same time we came down there and hung out because it I is. remember you had just got your telly and you were like, "I'm getting back in this yeah, shit, motherfucker." Showing us some new riffs. You had that orange, like that. and I was like, "Shit, yeah, exactly." Okay, yeah, sorry, man, keep going. I was, I was just trying, you know, to was trying to put a timestamp on it. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. It was around that time. I. Um, you know, due to my addiction years ago, I sold all of my equipment. I mean, the telly that I had when I was, you know, out with you guys, um, amps, pedals, you name it. You know, I was at one point I was pretty, pretty bad off in my early twenties. So I got rid of all that stuff. Um, you know, and then, you know, ended up buying it all back. And, you know, I, I was dead set on taking my music career, and trying to re revamp it. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, it, it was just something I got invited to play a lot of open mics, uh, a lot of, you know, smaller gigs to play with local bands, but it, it was something that 
deep in my heart, I knew I was just too shy to 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 do this. Right. I've always been kind of a shy guy, a little uncomfortable in my own skin, and standing up and bearing my soul. And I was never a great vocalist. <laughs> um, you it's know, funny. to can try we, to do something solo. Can we talk yeah, about stage ahead. fright for a second? What yeah, if, please. What a, oh my what god, a, I know all about it. <laughs> <laughs> what a crazy concept! Because I I, I truly believe that that is embedded in you at a very young age, way younger than you would ever be on a stage. I think it ha- it's got to be something yes. in the way that like you're built because like, and this is why I say that obviously I don't know shit. I just know myself, but the mm-hmm. first time I was ever on a stage, I went, this is kind of a sidetrack story, but I really want to talk about stage, right? We've never really talked about that on this no, podcast before. Fresh topic. So yeah, let's do it. I was in this band called, Shout out back to the um, one syllable number bands. I was in a band called uh, 30 Moss. Yep. So, 30 Moss. Yeah. So, yes. our first show, this is when I was, I, the first time I'd ever been in music, first time I've ever done anything like this. Um, what, the guy who played bass for us went to a different high school than I did. And he was like, My high school talent show is coming up. And I'm like, Sick. Let's, um, let's go play that motherfucker. And so I went to this high school that I didn't go to, and we showed up, and we played like a couple tracks, but I remember we played uh, Newfound Glory's cover of My Heart Will Go On, the Titanic theme song. And I remember I was the singer for this, and I was in eighth grade. I wasn't even in high school, and I was playing a high school talent show that was out of my, um, like when I would go to high school, it was not the high school that I was going to go to. And I remember my voice cracking, and it was just every embarrassing mistake that could ever possibly happen. But for some reason, like, it didn't scare me very much. And then I didn't understand why at the time. But then flash forward, you know, a couple years after playing, I mean, you go play a skate park that's different. It's not hard to not be scared when you're surrounded by all your friends, you know? But when I ended up being in... um, and I truly believe this is probably the only reason I got this. Um, when I was a senior in high school and they put me as a lead in their senior play, there was a lot of songs to sing, a lot of weird dancing. So it was a, it was a Footloose and I was like the main uh, character. Footloose, I remember this. Yeah so, yeah. so I remember, I think that the fact that I wasn't scared of anything really like reverberated with these guys. And like the people who were doing the casting and everything, like, cause I wasn't fucking scared. I mean, I was an asshole. I was going to auditions, tripping mushrooms, and I was still waxing everybody I was up against, you know? And, but it, I think most of it was just like, I just wasn't scared, man. I wasn't scared to fail. And I've only had stage fright one time in my life, and it only lasted for like 10 seconds. And after that oh. 10 seconds, I immediately went right back to my former self. And I was like, who gives a fuck? I could, pound, I could stalk this stage like a goddamn cougar and I'm not scared, you know? But um, huh. yeah, when we played Sturgis, we played Sturgis main stage in South Dakota uh, right before George Thorogood. And literally the first 10 seconds of that show, I was shaking. I was shaking. I've never played a show. Like that stage was like 65 feet wide. All right. Like that is... is probably the biggest stage i'll ever play on festival oh it was the biggest thing i'll probably ever do in my life i peaked early but that was the only time i ever got stage fright and so i think it's and it's not something you can 
I don't know. Like maybe if you have it, you can get out of it. I don't no, know. I mean, I'm not no, sure. I, 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 I think there's different because I'm different than that. Like I, I don't get. I don't know if I would call it stage fright, but like I get like some nerves before I go on for a good show. Pretty much every time, there's like it's like an energetic thing. But like I usually, if it's a good show, within like you were saying with the Sturgis show, like within like 30 seconds as soon as i have the instrument on and i'm in the song that starts to disappear yeah but like I, mean, I always get those pre it's like the anticipatory like exactly side of it. for sturgis it was literally i think we'll we play shit damn first yeah so like I, by the time the drums actually came in i was like oh shit this is what i do i'm i love when people look at me i'm fine with this but it's that like you're saying the anticipatory anticipatory moments where you're like what yeah. could happen once you're in the moment and the funny well, another thing i want to say that i think is really funny about stage fright and like i am this way and i think that a lot of other people are probably this way too where like um i i'm terrible with with social interactions with uh i, I have social anxiety i have all these issues and i talk to people all the time where they'll they'll be like i don't know how you do it i don't know how you get on stage and you go do that and they are like just like social butterflies and they can go out and charm anybody and do that and i'm the exact opposite where they see this thing of getting on stage as being like this huge anxiety and for me the most anxiety i have playing shows is after i get off stage and i have to walk around in the crowd and go talk to people me talking to people is the worst like i love meeting people and i don't i'm not trying to say that in a mean way but like the social anxiety, I have more anxiety walking around and meeting people and talking to them than I do getting on stage in front of a bunch of people, which That's is true. like a weird and complex. No, where I, I think I'm the same. I think, yeah. I think what you're like subconsciously, if you have a guitar strapped on you, Rev, you're like, well, bitch, you're in my element now. Well, and you this got is my element. But then when you're at a bar and there's like all these people talking and you're having to like, it's like, what do I say to make them like me? And like now, exactly. all of a sudden, you're in their element. That, you don't that know what makes the fuck perfect to sense. Do. We're getting into some psychological shit here. We're getting deep. No, I think I think that that's all stage fright is is psychological stuff. And honestly, if I would have grown up and just failed and failed and failed and failed, I wouldn't have the confidence that I do today to get on stage. And as I'm as I'm talking about this, I realize I was also I also had one more bout of stage fright that was actually much worse than the Sturgis one. And it was the first date that me and Rev were flown out to pick up in the early November tour two years ago with the movie life because we were headlining that night in Chicago and I stood side stage and I watched the movie life play and I was like, fuck my life. There is no way that I can go do this because they are, they're such a powerhouse live. And I remember I dealt with stage fright that entire night. Like I got off stage scared as shit. I was just like, I was so twisted up over the whole thing that it just fucking, I, I couldn't, I didn't eat catering that night. Like I remember uh, our TM tried to get me high before the show and I was just like, no, I don't want to get high. I'm like literally all fucked up, man. Like I'm plenty fucked up on my own in my head, dude. But I, I can I totally think- understand stage fright. I just don't, luckily I don't suffer from it all the time if I'm in my arena. Yeah. You know? I suffer from it much That's more than good. you do, I think. I, I, yeah. I'm, I'm the, in the middle of the spectrum between Michael and you and, and Lo, I guess. The worst stage fright I think I ever had was the Trees Are Green show when we opened for the mile after. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. shit. I remember, I remember that. that show. Yeah, yeah. That was a good yeah, one. I was, um, Yo, how I crazy is it? I played Keys Live and I was <laughs> freaking out. 
<laughs> yeah, that was a that was a crazy show. That's a that's actually a really good band that is defunct now that no one will ever know of because all he does now too is bad. transpose big songs from major to minor and he's a YouTube celebrity. So hey, you gotta, gotta adjust with the climate, baby. Gotta get gotta, you gotta adjust with the climate. <laughs> mad talented dude. All right, well, let's try and steer this back in the album. I'm glad we got to talk yeah. about stage fright. Well, That's let's, something cool. It, about. Let's do it. I want to, um, you know, I want to segue just a little bit back into the art for this band. Um, you know, I, uh, you know, like Rev, you said that I finally figured out or found what I was meant to do. I, I completely believe that. Yeah. If it was not for this band. I never would have picked up a paintbrush. I was dating a girl for a brief period of time, um, you know, who was a painter and I was just trying to get back into music. So, you know, I would jam and, you know, record while she would paint. And one day she, um, you know, she said, why don't, why don't you try? So, I chose a Circa album cover that I thought would be easy uh, <laughs> to try to cover. Um, you know, none of Esau's work is easy to to replicate. Um, but I I gave it a shot. I went I went to an art store. I bought some um, shitty oil paints and you know five dollar oh, yeah, pack of a, brushes. And, isn't that shit expensive though? Isn't all the materials for painting like kind of pricey? Okay, so good materials, yeah, they're they're pricey as shit. And I, I had no idea what I was getting into. My my girlfriend at the time did not tell me that oil paint was the hardest medium. I guess acrylic and other mediums are easier. Oil is very tough. So I started with that. And, um, you know, the, the study went pretty well, actually. I mean, it, it doesn't look anything near like the original but i fell in love i mean i i've never fallen in love with something quite like this you know dude, it, it reminded me of my love for music but dude your passion for painting to... shows in your progression because honestly if i would have progressed at the same pace that you in music that you progressed in painting i might be famous right now yeah, I'd be dating Taylor Swift or something. Fuck yeah, because I remember you you were like, hey man, I'm going to try painting. And I'm like, sick, Michael's going to paint. And then you sent me your first one. I was like, damn, that's not that bad, man. No. And, and then your second one, I was like, holy shit. The progression from the first piece that you sent us to the to the one that you brought us uh, when you came up to visit is just insane. And then the one that you've that you've been uh, posting about uh, last, just recently, it's just like it, it is a massive... Yeah, like, I thought the first one was good, and now I'm like, oh, okay. Dude, it's like if you compared, you know my music career, so it's like if you compared your painting to my music career, your first painting was Old North State, so fuck all the shit before that. Your first painting was Old North State, and then like your second one, you know, was like Carolina Ray, your third one was Brothers, and now you're on to like what Brothers is now, where we're making like pop bangers. So it's like, I mean, you're, it's actually incredibly impressive as an outsider to see your progression as a painter. And obviously like, um, for the people that are listening, I get, I, I get to see his paintings. Like he gets to hear my demos. Like he sends me photos of what he's working on exactly. and stuff like that. So, yeah. So I get I to kind of see stuff. Shots, you know, but man, it's I, unbelievable. I, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to, for 
I'm slow still. I'm learning, you know, and I, I started painting at, I think, the end, the very end of 2017. Um, and, so you basically you know, have February, less so than a year and a half of painting under your belt. Less than a year and a half. It's so um, impressive. You know, but I, it, it, it's, it, I would tell anybody the same thing. It, it's not. You know, I don't think it's talent. You know, I used to sketch all the time, and I was—I couldn't draw a stick figure to save my fucking life. But I'm stubborn, and <laughs> honestly, painting is just being stubborn enough to sit down the next day and try to make it better than it was the day I agree. before. I it, mean, talent? this last painting probably I put 200 plus hours into it. Yeah, which talent, is crazy. Talent and skill are different. Absolutely. Like, and I have an older brother who is talented. Me and Rev yes. are skilled. Because yes. my older brother doesn't have to do shit and he picks up a guitar and he destroys it. It's just in his blood. And like I was never that way. I'm more like you, Michael, where I had to sit there and it's like, well, what would take Travis an hour to learn on guitar would take me three weeks. But exactly. I was an asshole and I spent that three weeks learning it. You know, so exactly. talent and skill, I believe, are very well, different. Passion goes a long way. And you can tell that you're passionate about art. I feel like we are passionate about music. And you can see it in a, any kind of artist or anybody, anything that they do in their life, whether your jam is working out all the time to be really healthy or it's all about uh i don't know rock climbing whatever it is when you see someone who has passion natural ability comes in but it only takes you so far and somebody with passion and less natural ability will always always make it further and they will always be better and because that's all they care about and that's what they want to work on and somebody there, there is the, so many people who I know who are so naturally skilled, but they just don't have the passion and the drive to push them to that next level of where they need to go to make whatever their interest is a life decision or a life choice rather than just a hobby. And for some people, that's okay. But like, I, I think exactly. that passion and determination will always outweigh natural ability. I agree. Yeah, I mean, I have always, as you said, I am an artistic person. I I have to have some form of an outlet, and I don't think I have ever in my life loved anything more than I do when I'm painting. I, I just can free my mind. I can create literally anything. I mean, not quite yet, because I'm still learning, but... You know, I, I can sit down and create just about anything well, that I want You can try to. to make anything. I mean, maybe it won't be up to Ex the standards that you want in your head, which comes back into the determination. But, like, that's something exactly. I think is really cool. I don't know very much about visual art. But, like, the idea yeah. that you literally are – it's just, it's kind of like songwriting, but almost more in a, in well, a way. Because a you were like starting with a blank canvas, and whatever you have in your mind, you can try and put down and – it, you can literally there it, there are no limits to what you want to try and make there there's no guidelines there's no uh i mean you Infinite you can make whatever you want maybe you get way out of the line like in songwriting you can make whatever you want it you might realize later down the line that that was a stupid ass idea and you made a big pile of shit but like <laughs> no one's going to stop exactly. you you can do whatever you want to do 
I think it's all exactly. about, you know, being that able might... to see something and envision it in your head. I think that's what makes an artist, you know, and what you do, Michael, I could never do. Like I can't see a blank sheet of paper and I can't see the lines, but I can see a blank garage band template and I'll write the <laughs> fuck out of a song. But like yeah. what you do, I can't like, I, and I mean, I used to draw and stuff. And I think that there is like a little bit of artistic ability in me. Maybe if I tried, I might be able to, you know, cultivate it more, but it scares the shit out of me because it just seems so difficult. And like songs scare me way less. Cause I mean, let's face it. I mean, paintings and songs are forever, but with songs, you know, you can burn it a million times. You can put it on a hard drive. Like it's like literally forever. So if you write a shitty song, it'll haunt your dreams for the rest of your life. You know what I'm saying? But and exactly. with art, that's you're part creating, of the terrifying part of what I do. Right. You're creating a <laughs> one piece that is so and like I feel like the stakes are so much higher for what you, you spend do than so what much I do. more time creating that piece. Exactly. It's crazy. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I mean, five months go into this. That's and then so much investment. That's yeah, I can't even imagine. It's like you know, I, I start to feel like a dick if I've promoted it for longer than a week. I'm like, shit, people are tired of seeing this. You know, like... <laughs> I, I feel the same frustration image, when you know? we, we... It's in just like songwriting where you... Like, we'll write a bunch of songs, but in the same way that, like, we will work on, like, a record or an EP or even a single. And I, I know that feeling when it's like, okay, we've put all this effort in, we've lined up all the promotion, and you release it, and then, yeah, like a weekend, you're like, shit, I kind of feel like an asshole for posting about this again. But you just do it. You have to. It's what you spent money on, and that's what you want to show people. And if people are – if they give a shit, they'll let you know. And if people are sick of seeing that shit, then there's an unfollow button. and Just unfollow my ass. Yeah, get out of here. If you don't want to see what I do, then why are you following me, asshole? Yo, we, released, exactly. uh, we released a song exactly. yesterday. I'm just so glad that I finally found a way to – you know, my art is the only way I can show you what is within. Yeah, you know, I absolutely. tried to find that with music for 10 plus years. And I, I just was not built to express myself that way. And to have finally found something that, you know, like I said, I've never loved anything more. Um, because I can finally express myself to the fullest degree you know to to the level that i've always wanted to express myself for someone that has always felt um you know that i did not have an outlet for that and you know very you know i you guys know me i'm very honest i i am a huge advocate for mental health mm -hmm. uh and mental health awareness so, you know, we were speaking about platforms and part of the inspiration, not only from Circa, but from ESAO as well, um, are, are both of these entities, these individuals um, collaborate together. Sometimes they, they do things separately, but they do things for these humanitarian causes, for these charitable causes. And that is something that I've tried to incorporate into my artwork when I do a series of prints or sell a painting. Um, you know, I will always give proceeds to something. And this time I'm about to drop a print release and I'm going to um, 
you know, team up with a local animal shelter and raise money for adoption fees for pet food for it's awesome you know toys for the animals man yeah. it's you know i i just feel like it would be a really empty endeavor um to just release my artwork and and just call it a day um when there could be so much more done and there's so many people so many things that need you know help assistance that you know it's um it's something that means a lot to me. Like my last print release went to, um, the American foundation for suicide prevention, which is a company or no, not company, but organization yeah, that I will probably. probably always come back to and work with, you know, um, you know, periodically and on and off just because, you know, I, I really believe that the stigma of mental health is it, it's time to squash that. It's time for people to talk about it. Well, it's um, it's a very real thing, and I think it's one of the biggest – I think it's one of the biggest epidemics and one of the biggest ignored things currently exactly. in society where I, I think that people like to look at all of these bigger things, whether it be gun violence, whether it be – I mean, there's so many things, but a lot of that – is very real, but most of these things, when you start digging back a little bit, so much of them is spawned directly from mental health issues, which are being ignored. So I think that's amazing that you're doing that. And I think it's amazing because as a, as an artist, like as a struggling artist myself, and I think you, you are concentrating so much on the grind of trying to make your art legitimate in a financial way. To be able to, which it, it, it can lend itself to, I've seen it with a lot of people and I've been a culprit myself, where it lends itself to being almost like self-centered and because you're concentrating so hard on getting your dream off the ground that it's easy to forget about uh, how well you have it and how how you can help other people through your art and things like that. So I think it's awesome that you're able to step back and see all of these causes that mean something to you and use your platform to try and make it a better world and attack things like mental health, which is a massive, massive issue. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I, I honestly don't know anybody, you know, who is close to me that who has not been affected by mental health in one form or another. Yeah. And, you know, being a new artist, um, you know, trying to make it, I mean, my art is not going to pay the bills anytime soon. So, you know, I'm going to pay my bills another way. So why not lend, you know, what I can to, you know, something that means that is bigger than me. Yeah, man. Um, that is bigger than us. You know, it's, it's just, it's just one of those things, man. You know, I appreciate uh, that, man. Just cause, uh, I suffer from that shit. So, creating awareness and all that stuff I think is super important. It can help some people. I have since I was a kid, and that's why I believe in it. Yeah, you know? I, in some ways I think all of us have, in, in varying degrees, have mental health health issues. And, and, and I, I mean, we could literally have a whole podcast where we sit here and talk about, about some Precisely. of these issues because they're such big issues. Like I could literally sit here and talk about for, for hours my, my perspective on certain issues and – uh, I mean, because that stems all the way into like prescription drugs and and some of the some of the SSRIs and things like that, which is a huge subject. Is 
obviously attached directly with mental health and it's it's just such a such a big subject but like it's i i love that you're that that you're focusing on that and trying to be part of uh you know a cause that's that's fixing a massive issue in society i appreciate that man i yeah, really man. do I, you know that's it's really cool you know it's a small difference but you know every difference you know Every yeah. little bit means something. So. Yeah, you never know whose life you can change. You know, even if it's a small thing, it could really impact someone else. Exactly. 100%. Exactly. It's awesome. I love that. Well, does anybody have anything else that they'd like to talk about? Yeah, uh, the record up, specifically. Because coming up on two hours, so we have a couple questions to end this off with. But <clears throat> wow. uh, does it anybody? Feels like- 20 minutes it's crazy isn't it funny how it does that absolutely podcasts are funny because you just start talking and then you just don't realize it's like wow like i said we could sit here for hours and talk about just that one subject yeah that we just brought up not to mention the other things i we could sit here and talk about for hours but (laughs) yeah i I I said this guys all night (laughs) i said this before but like we obviously best friends you will be a returning podcast so we oh, will definitely, a, we're going to have uh, more time to dig to in. This. Oh yeah. We're going to dig you know, in on some stuff. Which is funny. That actually yeah. leads to one of my questions, but should, we should go ahead and start talking about, um, does anybody have any last words yeah, about do you have any, the record? Any th- I wanted to say about this record is very exciting time for Circa. This is literally the turning point and then becoming what seemingly was a side project for June Turner to becoming a powerhouse that was not only equal to Seosin, but bigger in many ways. You know, and uh, I think it's it it's a lot of uh, it takes a lot of guts to walk away from a band who's already major label to start something that you believe in, like Anthony Green did. And I think that June Turner kind of has that vibe. And then I think on letting go is them actually being like, "Oh no, fuck you! We're a real band now. We're not just some sidestep from Sayosin. This has nothing to do with Sayosin. This is all yeah. shit." And they own it, and they have a very distinct ha- sound in this record. Hence the name of the record, you know, which, you know, has taken on so many meanings for me. I mean, I I think as human beings, we're constantly learning how to let go, let go of fear, let go of um, love, to let go of. We're always learning how to to let go, to move on, you know, which I think is a beautiful message that is... um, you know, kind of hidden, you know, amongst the entire record, mm. you know, one of the hardest back. lessons as a human. Absolutely. Precisely. It's exactly. the, the biggest struggle to, that's one of the biggest things that keeps people from being happy. I'm all twisted learning how to let now. go. Oh yeah. Whether it's love, whether it's, uh, I mean, whether it's a relationship or somebody who you've lost, uh, whether it's a parent or somebody, anything, or it's uh, a job that you had that you thought was the one, or it was a, an outlet in life, like a career thing, anything like learning. That's what ke- prevents happiness is the inability to let go of things and look towards exactly. the future. Exactly. Which exactly. is really cool. It's, it's a beautiful concept. Well, yeah. Rev, do you have any uh, questions from Michael to end this off with? Yeah. Okay. So these are the, I'm going to start off with just the, the questions we ask everybody. Um, what is the first record you bought? The very first record I bought. Yeah, what is it? The, or <laughs> whatever you can remember. The what? The first record that not that somebody bought for you. The first one where you got your allowance or whatever. 
and you spent your money on this record, you know? Okay, all right. Um, hmm. I think it's self-titled Reliant K. Ooh, mm-hmm. shit, that's a nice. good record. Yeah, you guys um, introduced me to them. Um, and, yeah, I fucking love that band. So I think I bought their self-titled record from FYE back in the day. I'm pretty sure that's it. That or it's Green Day's Dookie. Oh, also a great one. Yeah, that's actually yeah. Uh, that's a very popular one yeah, too. I, say, I feel like we've so heard accessible. that. A, we've heard that a couple times for the Dookie already. So wait, Reliant yeah. K self-titled. That was the one before Anatomy. Yep. With uh, what, what's that one song on it? Give me some track names, Rev. Oh I just, man, what they had McFly God. or Hello something. McFly Hello, was yeah, on that. Okay. Yeah. Okay. yeah, Hello McFly you. was on it. Um, it was a very. I think the artwork was them jumping hurdles. Yep, jumping over like the track. Yeah, the track. It's a funny record because it's like. Obviously a Christian band, but in that first yeah. record, they really didn't know how to veil the Christianness so that everybody could listen to it. That one is so Christian. There's the oh man, what's that one? Marilyn Manson ate my girlfriend. You know, yes. is on that one where it's yes. just like I loved it, but it was just like this is ridiculous. And then by the yeah. time they hit their second album, they had that one really god theme song, but everything else kind of played in a little they bit more. They started to balance right? it out. It, they, yeah, yeah, it was a little bit easier. But yeah, I loved that record back in the day. That's awesome. Yeah, no, it was phenomenal. So that was definitely the first CD I think I bought That's on awesome. my own. Hell yeah. The first CD that was purchased for me, Backstreet Boys. By oh, my even so, better. <laughs> you should have just claimed that one. Shit. Why not? I my- should have. But my I parents. Was, I was thinking about it. Yeah. My parents bought me food. They bought me clothes. But God damn it, they never bought me music. My parents <laughs> never bought me music. I had to. Yeah, my mom lead was a uh, Green Day fan. Actually, I she remember saw that. them in in clubs in New York. Um, so cool. I think back in the day when they were like really small, playing like five hundred. 500, 400 people capacity so, clubs. So, so yeah. small. Your mom's <laughs> a badass lady, for sure. Yeah, she is. Yeah, she's Shout pretty out cool, Carol. man. Love she's your mother. definitely cool. Yeah, she loves you guys. <laughs> okay, the second question, you've kind of already answered, but if you want to say anything else about it, uh, just yeah, let's... bring it. Yeah, so it, it's what is the first concert you ever went to? <laughs> so any yeah. anything else you so, want to say about that? Yeah, no, there is. Uh, It it. gets more embarrassing. Um, I think in third grade, my mom took me to see the Backstreet Boys. Oh, hell yeah. That's actually Um, sick, dude. I rarely, I like, I really don't remember that experience. I think we were in the nosebleeds and I could like, the stage was like a speck of, it was like a grain of rice. Yo, but you know what? Going to big shows um, and being so far away is a goddamn rite of passage. I've been to shows like yeah. that too, where it was just like, why am I even fucking here? I can't. Right? I mean, I might as well just like put the, the goddamn. The lawn. Yeah, it's like I should just put the fucking CD on in my headphones because I can't see goddamn thing. Well, it makes like, sense if you're uh, over 21 and you can get drunk because that's where everyone just gets super drunk. True, and true, really true. Care halfway through. But yeah, exactly. it's, no, I think that's a rite of passage. Everyone should have a show where they're too far away Sitting out in the lawn. to really see what's happening, whether they want to see or not. Like it's a, it's a life thing, man. You got to understand that there are different, <laughs> yeah, there are different levels to those big, you know, stadium shows and shit. Yeah. But I think, uh, second show was Jimmy Eat World, Green Fuck. Day and Blake. Fuck you. 
Fuck you. <laughs> I've still never seen Jimmy Eat World, and they were one of the most influential bands to me in my entire life. And then stick them with Green Day and Blink. That's a hell of a lineup. Right How's that there. pop disaster shit? And yeah? Green Day and Blink, I think, pulled a major, major prank on Jimmy where they dropped, I think, like 2,000 golf balls Damn. on top of them while they were playing. Yeah, That's a good <laughs> one. That's a good one. It was, it was, That's it insane. was awesome. That's the kind of prank you can only pull with a budget. I've heard about many, yeah. many really funny tour pranks throughout the years. Uh, after I started meeting people, um, like I've heard of like some really funny like pranks that Fall Out Boy threw on early November and shit like that. But two thousand golf balls—that that shit's like it might even that hurt is you. A high, <laughs> that is a high budget prank for sure. High budget that prank. That is a son. high budget. That's an enema of the state budget. Yeah. <laughs> That's All awesome. Right, so All right, I have a question yeah. for you. Third question is always a custom question. So this is your custom question. Yeah, this is actually a little bit twisted up because it's kind of not as, I don't know, it's not. I was going to ask you if um, if you had to pick a record to do this podcast off of mm-hmm. only from the years that you were like formative. So like um, I'm talking about like these records that you're talking about, Reliant K self-titled, In of the State, blah, 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 blah. The early like, years. Yeah, like what record meant... The early years. Yeah, what record was the record for you? Like I have records in my life where I was like, oh shit, I'm probably going to be in a band now. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like is there yeah. a record for you that was like... And whether it's about um, starting to play music or even just being interested in it, like you're talking with Rev... Hold you into the scene at a deeper level rather than, than just your Blink peers. 182 or whatever. You're, right, or but you, like you look sure. a, when you look around your friends and you're just like, oh shit, I think I like music more than anyone else in this room does. Like, what what kind of, like, what record would that be for you? 40-hour train to pen. Oh, God. Damn, son. Interesting answer. I, didn't, I would not have oh, guessed that. Oh, I love the movie life. Crazy. I fucking love that record with everything I am. Dude. That's awesome. That's just funny because I even when we went on tour with them, I remember talking to Lo and be like, I don't really know their music that well. Like I just never got into it for some reason. Yeah, like, and you I know didn't what? know you were that into it. You know what I did? Faces and kneecaps. Dude, and yo, kneecaps, they played. To shore. Dude, oh they played God. kneecaps like, okay, so, okay, I was the guy on that early November tour that basically watched the movie Life play every night side stage with Google Eyes. I was yeah, just I that asshole. That yeah. But <laughs> I remember the first time, man, the first three shows, they played kneecaps and then they stopped playing it for the rest of the tour. And finally, once I got to start to know the dudes, I'm like, why aren't you playing kneecaps anymore? <laughs> like, that song bangs so hard. And all those 40 right. hour songs, they bang so much harder live now. Like, when you watch the movie Life now go up there and play like songs like that, and even songs that are older than that. It's a different beast. It's it's like oh my god. It's kind of like what we were talking about um, in our last podcast, being like, watch thrice play Deadbolt in 2019. It'll fuck you right up, you know. Like, and I think that Circa is actually the same way. You get Circa to oh, play absolutely. any old song now, and it's just yeah. like fuck that record I mean, version. Like, any this band, is real. Any band who's been together for a long time and still has got the same members and is pushing like that, they're they're just growing. And they're yeah, it's cool to hear bands like that play. Songs they wrote when they were in their infancy, you know? Yeah. Well, hell yeah, that's a that's, hell of an answer, yeah, Michael. a good choice. Well, let's go ahead and wrap this up by, Michael, if you want to go ahead and plug your social medias so that people know where to find you on uh, Instagram or whatever. So they can go follow, follow exactly. your and check out your art. And, and if, if they're not familiar, that way they can, yeah, they can be a part of, part of it. Yeah, 
Absolutely. It's um, Michael Schellenberger Art. Um, my last name's kind of a clusterfuck. We'll so spell it I out. Spell we'll spell it, it out in the preview, <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna, too. I'm going to put it in it's, the show uh, link so people can grab right, it there, cool, too. Cool. So everything, Facebook and Instagram, are both Michael Schellenberger Art. Um, you can also just request me on Facebook, Michael Schellenberger. Um, but, yeah, I would uh, really appreciate anybody that would like to check out my art. Um, criticism... Um, preferably constructive is always welcome. <laughs> yeah, if you don't want to give constructive criticism, don't follow. Go fuck yourself. Exactly. Yeah. If you're just being an asshole. Um, go fucking be an asshole assholes. somewhere else. We don't want that shit here. Not not in shit, brothers. Say no. And I am, um, you know, I am honored honored to uh, to have been on this podcast with Dude. you guys. You know, you guys have been my brothers. You know, for. Oh yeah, dude! Like, we should name our geez, band that, Rev. Oh, Seventeen, eighteen years. You, you guys have been family, so you thank are, you so much for having me. Yeah, dude, you are one of our brothers for sure. You are family at this point. We've been looking forward to this one, just because it was like, yeah, this is going to be a fun one. We literally, it, we've got such a long history and connection, dude. So thank you so much for for taking time out of your evening to to jump on and. And absolutely fellas. and congratulations on the new single drop it is phenomenal oh, thank you man thank phenomenal you. Yeah. thanks man we're excited about it thank you dude. As, as you should be yeah man i just want to say thank you we love you so much we can't wait to do this again much love michael love you guys All have right. a great night thanks All man right, you too later peace All right, later